Stay golden. Hurricane. Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricast. We are a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I'm Matt Rectine. And buckle up. This is going to be a long episode. We've got two guests in addition. First time ever. Yeah, first time ever. In addition to, you know, our regular recap players of the week around the American plus more. So <laughs> get, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. One of those guests is, uh, as we'll talk about, the first. Well, okay, I didn't want to say anything on the interview itself because I didn't want it. But I mean, we've had JJ on twice, so. Oh, that's true. <laughs> different <laughs> interviews, though. Yeah, different, yeah, hundred percent different style. The first sports-related. What Matt's getting at is when when we intro Rick, uh, I said he was the first like non conference opponent you know he's the first like non fear the wave or scott and holman podcast or you know one of the guys we have on all the time uh guest to repeat on the show but then i was correct it was jj was definitely that's totally right she was definitely the first uh so i will revise that statement um in advance and say the first sports related guest we have, we have had multiple times on the show that's not a conference spot so a few asterisks on that one now but um yeah oh my gosh well yeah it's a packed episode rick dixon back again um he came on back in the spring he was our last episode of season four uh hell of an interview last time just i mean arguably even better this time we talked about 12 team playoff and how he sees tulsa going forward i mean some just really some really uh, stuff that I found particularly enlightening to talk about. So hopefully you do as well. Definitely stick around for that. And then after him, we bring on guest number two uh, and also a first for us here. Um, first time we've ever had two guests in one episode, I believe. Hopefully I'm not misspeaking on that one too, but pretty sure that is the case. And that is another, a, a repeat conference guest. It is Brandon from Go Beer Cats. They do a podcast and a blog over there. It's gobeercats.com. And he's always a joy to talk to, mostly because he always has beer with him, which just makes it easy to talk to him. You know, he's just always very casual. So very fun. We talked about the Bearcats with him. But like Matt mentioned, it's a packed one. We're going to try to, and I will put an emphasis on try because we regularly try this and often fail almost every time. But this time we are seriously have it at the top of my mind right now because we already know it's going to be long because we've already done the interviews that uh, we're going to try to keep the Ole Miss recap brief, get to the players of the week relatively quickly. Um, do some of the recap as part of players of the week, et cetera, uh, and then move you on to Rick Dixon, uh, which is uh, probably, I mean, you know, Brandon and talking Cincinnati is awesome, but I think that Rick Dixon conversation was, was a hell of an interview and especially just more, more TU focused. Right. Uh, but definitely stick around for Brandon, get the, get the lowdown on the Bearcats. That's a huge game, monstrous game in terms of chances for the conference for Tulsa this year. And if we can knock off the top dogs early here, definitely got a leg up. So Got a big one, so let's get let's get into it. Um, talk some Ole Miss. Fifth, so you know, I, we we I think the last two episodes have forgotten to say the final score early, so gonna knock that out right at the beginning here. Thirty-five to twenty-seven final score. TU lost the game. Uh, if you weren't aware, one score game. Fourth quarter. Braylon Braxton's in there. Uh, spoiler: Davis Brin got hurt. Also, if you didn't watch the game, Braylon Braxton in there. Fourth quarter. Three chances down the stretch. Three separate drives. Down by eight points in the fourth. Uh, to go try to tie this thing up, send it to a potential overtime. 
Uh, or if we scored earlier on one of those three chances, maybe have the chance to win the game. Um, couldn't get it done, unfortunately. I think, you know, starting off here, I think Raxton, it's interesting, right? We, we had talked earlier in the year. Um, I specifically said, if Bryn goes out, I think we're screwed. I think was, was my exact words, right? I mean, Bre- he, he, Braxton, I saw him in the spring game and that's basically all. I've never seen him throw a pass outside of that from aside from spring games and like highlights from TU football Twitter. Right. And he didn't look that good throwing the football in the spring game last season. Uh, then you've got reports coming out that he's made huge progress over the summer and into the fall and all this, but you never really know. Right. So all of a sudden Davis brain goes out in the second quarter of this game. And I, again, vocally out loud was like, well, that's the game. <laughs> I was like, there's no way. Cause we were already down when, when actually the, when Bryn went out, it might've been tied that I think it might've been 14, 14 um, when he first went out. Uh, can't remember, but anyway, Bryn comes in or Braxton comes in and especially in the second half, we were down, you know, that second quarter, 28 to three second quarter. Right. And so we're down big time at halftime. And Braxton leads the team out second half. First drive of the second half, we march down the field, kick a field goal, uh, get some points on the board early. And and he played, he played, I mean, much better than I was anticipating. And it wasn't like he was even elite, right? I think his final line was like nine for 22. Let me, uh, nine for 21, 83 yards, one touchdown, one pick. The pick definitely, you know, it didn't look great live. I didn't see it on TV. I was there at the game. So I'm not sure if it looked super bad uh, on TV. But it's, you know, it's his first, you know, big time start on the road um, against an SEC team. So I'll, I'll forgive him a one interception. Nine of 21 isn't, isn't that great of a line. But for coming in and replacing the, the star quarterback on the team, who's putting up the extremely impressive numbers that he has so far in Davis Bryn, I was impressed. I thought he looked confident. I thought overall he handled that offense well. And I think the biggest thing he did is not that surprising was keep plays alive. And I don't mean just in terms of like running the football. It was like. Davis Brin would have gotten sacked a few of the times there. Whereas Braylon Braxton is a bigger guy, right? He's big. And he straight up one time, like he had a guy wrapping his legs and he was falling down and he completed a pass, right? He's, he's just, he's got enough down, like in his, he's got enough muscle in his legs to stand up and take that a little longer and still deliver a pass that, that, that can be caught. So I was overall, despite the, you know, mediocre, uh, stat line in the numbers perspective, I was impressed with his character and leadership of that team on a hostile road environment against a big time team when you're already down a lot to have the uh, gumption to be able to come back up there and, and lead the team and give you a chance to win at the end of the game, which is all you can hope for. So I was, I was impressed. Yeah. And I think the um, like another thing that kind of goes into it and Braxton was a contributor to this is we finally saw our rushing attack like be really good they had 262 yards i think total um you know that's across steven anderson jordan ford bill jackson braylon braxton um all these guys had good rushes and you look at bill jackson i think he had eight carries and 77 yards which was the most of any yeah man on the team almost averaging 10 yards a carry there look at that guy Yeah. And then like Anderson had 76 on 17. And so this is where I think it was good because like, that's one thing that we talked about is if we're losing guys to injury on the rushing uh, game, which at one point Jordan Ford came out uh, during this game, which was another injury scare out of like the 20,000 that (laughs) happened to this game. Oh my God. Um, And then on top of that, having Bryn and it's like, well, 
we were one dimensional and now we've, you know, the thought was, did we just lose that dimensional? Are we non-dimensional? <laughs> yeah. Um, like we've transcended dimensions maybe. Yeah. No, but, um, but yeah, no. So it was good to see that. And I hope that kind of like is a takeaway because no matter what, if Bryn comes back and we don't know if he's going to Montgomery is never going to, I don't know if there is a single football coach in college football that would say, give a definite answer at any point about quarterback availability. Um, but if he's not, or if he, no matter what, he's not like, if he comes back, that kind of injury is not just a, I, I, I can't, I'm acting like I'm an authority. I'm not, but I can imagine he's going to have a little bit uh, harder time with mobility, you know, just coming from that, not wanting to aggravate it or anything like that. And so to be able to, um, you know, change up and not just rely on him. Cause yeah, you're right. There are many times where I was watching, I was like, okay, Braxton got out of the pocket. Brain would have been sacked there immediately because he can't move right now because of his ankle and stuff like that. And so yep. like, we'll potentially still have those, uh, even if he does come back because I mean, while I think our offensive line did an all right job, especially like Ole Miss was what coming into this game, they had given up 13 points total. <laughs> and then we had 14 within like first five two drives. Minutes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, like Ole Miss is a good defensive team, but there are definitely times like Braxton is the reason that Braxton didn't get sacked for quite a few of those plays. Like you look at that touchdown pass to Isaiah Epps, mm. like the amount of time he extended on that to let to the point until Epps finally was able to like get separation in the end zone. Like that's incredible. Like Bryn could, couldn't do that this game. And I think we've kind of seen, you know, even when he's healthy, he doesn't quite have uh, the, the same kind of like um, versatility is not the shiftiness maybe to kind of like get out and extend the plays a little bit longer. And so like, yeah, I will say definitely a positive. I am kind of, it makes me feel better if Bryn goes down. And also, like, more excited for the next couple of years because I think not to – I don't know. Bryn is, like, a super redshirt senior but still has another year left, I think. So, I not to say when, but yeah. – Oh, no, I think all this to say, Braxton did a really good job, but I was really impressed by our defense in the second half, not in the second quarter. First quarter, yeah, yeah for they sure. played – our defense played an incredible three quarters of football, in my opinion outside of that first drive where they scored within a minute 30, that was rough. Uh, but sorry, my automatic, uh, <laughs> Matt just went dark this. mode on me. He's like, his face is red because of the, the light in front of him. The lights in the background are off. It's straight up black and red Matt right now. It's, hey, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, looking, not it's 1040. Lie. It's 1045. Like this is the latest I think I've ever recorded a podcast <laughs> yeah. episode. So my automatic lights kicked in. Um, but yeah, the second half coming in, like there was a lot of fear in my mind and stuff that I had seen just on Twitter about like, oh man, the second half, like how much is almost just going to like eviscerate us now that they've kind of like, after we just saw them put up 28 points in a quarter. 
and our defense gave up none. Um, Insane. Yeah. And part of that is, you know, clutch plays by like Kendarren Ray forcing a fumble in the red zone, stuff yep. like that. But then just, you know, didn't Kendarren all- Ray on the, didn't he force and recover? Didn't he recover that one? Forced, too? Yeah. Forced and recovered. And then they had the, aud- not the audacity because they originally, <laughs> they called that play. They called him down by contact and he can Ray had the foresight to still get the ball because had he not recovered it, they would have like reviewed it and been like, Oh, it was a fumble, but Tulsa didn't recover it. So we're just going to let Ole Miss hold on to it. So because he very clearly picked it up and was the only person to pick it up, we got the fumble anyways. So yeah, like that was, but like if our second has half defense shows up, then we have a v- completely different team going like going forward. Yeah, I mean, you you look at look at what could have happened, right? If we were down so big, 28 to 3 second quarter like I mentioned, it was a blowout in motion happening right there. But what well, the score at halftime was 35-17, I think if I'm remembering that right. Yep. And look look at what happened to Georgia Tech last week against Ole Miss, right? We talked about it last week. They y- you have two options when you're down when you have a second quarter like that going into halftime. And what can you do? You can either do what Georgia Tech did, which is absolutely quit uh, and not literally play at all in the third quarter and just let them do whatever they want, which is what all that's what happened for Georgia Tech. Or you can do the literally exact somehow. I don't know what adjustments were made by Luke Olson and Philip Montgomery on that defense going into the second half. Zero points scored in this whole half against Ole Miss on the road. That is the two most impressive things are absolutely the defense and Braylon Braxton stepping up to the plate and not fading under the spotlight of playing on the road in SEC stadium and playing to a, to a pretty solid level there. Those were so impressive to me. I know we got, you know, we got screwed on, on several different calls throughout that game, mostly at the first and second quarters, bad calls that either cost us a desperately needed first down or gave Ole Miss one when we were on the verge of stopping them in the second quarter. Finally, um, those, you know, it's good. You're on the road against an SEC team. It's just, that's just how it goes. They, you have they to call those like kicks game imp- impacting calls. That's what, yeah, that's what yeah. Rick, Rick gave us a new term here. Uh, so for anyone who wants to, uh, to break this out at, at a game, I guess refs will react, uh, astonishingly if you know the term. So it's a gick like Matt mentioned game impacting call. Uh, so, Hey, start shouting gick from the stand, I guess if, uh, if that happens, uh, against Cincinnati at home. But yeah, lots of, you know, nothing you can do about refs. Uh, you can complain about them and everyone should because there were some serious, some serious bad calls in that game. Um, but that's how it's going to be. I like, that's what you expect when you're going, unfortunately, when you're going on the road against an SEC team, that's just how it happens. And it's happened Wait, to us many times. You're not going to put an asterisk on this like four years later. <laughs> Could you be potentially referencing the nefarious Boneyard podcast fellows over there who literally will not any excuse they have of mentioning that game? Um, will will bring it up. I mean, it has never not happened. Any reference to East Carolina from our Twitter account will have them in, in our mentions ridiculous but hey i'm for it man it just means they're still they're still mad about losing that's all that's all it is um yeah so lots of good lots of bad calls uh in that game but whatever you know that's just how it goes um it overall you know it was we we played them well like 21 point dogs on the road and and we make that a winnable game at the end of the game effectively tied them in total yards 457 total yards for tulsa versus 462 for Ole Miss, and that is a team that has steamrolled everybody they've played so far, right? Not been close in any other game. 
and I, and you know, mentioned this with the with the Bearcats guy, or maybe it was with Rick. There's no moral victories, you know, people say, but that's a moral victory in my mind. Like whatever, I, I'm I'm proud of the way that team played, the way that Braxton played, um, the way the defense played, everything, right? And we were getting sm- smacked around in that game in terms of it. Like you mentioned already, injuries. You've got Bryn going down early in the second quarter. He's so <laughs> he's so determined to win this game. He's he plays another two series before. The coaches are like, yeah, this is probably not a great idea, right? So they they pull him out in the second, um, but he's playing out of his mind to begin with. You got Keelan Stokes, another headliner of this of this football team, goes out, and we saw a video that surprisingly a, a kind SMU fan sent us uh, concernedly. Is that is that the right is that the right phrase there? I don't concern concernedly. I don't think so. Something something's wrong with that word. Like the and in, in a concerned fashion, he sent us this video. Um, and I hadn't seen it before. You know, I was at the game watching it live and I, I didn't see this live. So uh, I, I totally missed it. But maybe it was easier to see on TV. But it was the Keelan Stokes injury. He got, you know, it was the targeting call. The guy got thrown out soon after. Um, and it was the right call for sure. He got he got hit in the head. But when he was down, he tried Stokes. He didn't stay down, right? He was like, going to get back up. And he looked like he was trying to go toward the play. Play it. He, he's going to do another series of plays right there. Um, but he just got smacked in the head, right? He, I'm sure he was dizzy as hell, among other things and stumbled around and it looked it, i mean the video looks bad right he's like he stumbles a few different times his leg kind of buckles under him at one point and then he falls again and, and is on his back and then tu players recognize something's wrong here and then they bring him off um but then also he was back in the game later on so all these guys like nobody wants to stop playing this game everybody wants to beat all miss regardless of what the current score was in the second quarter they the team thinks they're going to win and they have good reason to think so. There's a lot of talent on that team. I, I thought we were going to cover that spread. We did. And it looked good. A lot of good things to take away from the game. I know everybody is bummed about the loss, but I came out of that one feeling, feeling pretty solid. You know, I know there's reason to be upset and the refs and, you know, you shouldn't be happy about a loss ever, but I mean, this is definitely one where, you know, I've seen some bad road losses for TU and this was a, I felt pretty happy, you know, not I felt pretty content leaving the stadium. Yeah. I mean, how often does maybe it's not, maybe it's just like a recency bias thing, but like last year, Ohio state, I felt good after that loss. Uh, Cause I thought we played really well. Like you look at some of the Oklahoma state games from the past. Like I thought we played pretty well in some of those losses. Um, so no, I mean, I, I agree with you where I think we, we really held our own. And I think a lot of people know that if not for some bad luck and just like things that you can't control happening, there's a good chance that we have the unconventional three and one record, uh, going into conference play. With the the Ole Miss win being the third win rather than the Wyoming win supposed supposed to be that third win, yeah, yeah, it's true, man. Like, so how how good do you think Ole Miss is? Like, where do you think they end up in in the national scene this year? Do you think that's a like a, a top tier, like in the in the top quadrant of the SEC this season, or what do you think about them? I, I mean, so the SEC is weird this year to begin with. Yeah. So you have like two, two at the top, like you have Georgia, Alabama. And then large drop. And then I feel like you have Kentucky, Tennessee. And then I feel like after that, it's like some mixture of Arkansas, Ole Miss, yeah, Florida. Um, I would do like Ole Miss, 
Arkansas, Florida, probably. And then Texas A and M's weird. Like they just beat yeah. Arkansas and then so shouldn't have. Yeah. I well, do I think Ole Miss will be a top twenty five team at the end of the year? No. Honestly. Like I don't think so. Um, but I mean, they'll be a solid team still. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if I were to guess on their record at the end of the year, at the end of the regular season, I think they go like eight and four, right? They're already, they're undefeated to start conference play or to start, you know, going into conference play. They've won four straight. So four now, are they going to go four and four in, uh, you know, or five, you know, something like that in, in conference play? Maybe, probably I, I could totally see that happening. So we'll see. Uh, oh, man, but they're obviously talented. Like they've got, they're still, they're still developing on offense. They've got a, a new quarterback in Jackson dart. Their running backs are insane. Their, their receivers need to be probably a little better going forward. But I mean, that, that goes to show like they have so much talent on that roster and zero points again in the second half. I think that sticks out to me like a sore thumb. So it's pretty nice. I think they're a talented team. Yeah. So, I mean, eight and four SEC team, that's probably still a top 25 team, right? So I could totally see that being the case, but we will see going forward. But yeah, I mean, overall, I thought, I thought solid game. I mean, I got to give a shout out to Isaiah Ups here, two touchdowns in this game. And it was also even more fun for that to happen because I was sitting right next to his family and he had a crew out there. There were probably like 10 of them. And oh my God, like you can't, I just, I mean, everybody knows like, you know, you've got a, a son in high school or a daughter in high school and they score a touchdown. Everyone's going to go nuts. Right. And this was like another level though. Cause it's like, you know, it's, it's their, it's their guy on the road sec program. And he scores two touchdowns, the only two passing touchdowns, I, I believe. Right. We're, we're to him and he gets them both a uh, big time stage. A lot of people there cheering for him and, that was amazing. So very fun to be sitting next to him. Unfortunately, I was also sitting close, not next to, but close to uh, the Carlisle family. And they were wonderful people, but he got burned a few times and they knew uh, that it happened. So they were, you know, not that they were down, but they definitely, it wasn't, it wasn't quite as fun as being next to the Epps family. I'll say that. Um, but they were great. Awesome to be around. And the turnout for TU fans, I thought was actually pretty solid. The The alumni tent there was packed, um, did an amazing job with that tent. Oh my gosh, it was so fun. Lots of it, all the free, all the food and drinks were totally free for like the full five hours early. You could get there for the Grove and they were out there then. And we got out there at like 10 AM and they were already there all set up and everything. And that's how it was. So, I mean, great job to them. Great job hosting and putting that together. I thought it was fantastic. The only other comment I have before getting to players of the game was damn running backs, man, Spe- specifically Tulsa defense versus the opposing team freshman running back in a power five school. I'm thinking back to Ohio state last year where their freshman at the time running back Travion Henderson ran for 277 yards and three touchdowns uh, against us last season. That was an absolutely brutal game. I definitely remember many touchdowns being scored in that one. This time freshman running back for Ole Miss is Quinshawn Judkins, who we previewed uh, with Ruby from red cup rebellion. And she mentioned him. So did Steven, Steve Willis from the Locked on All Miss podcast. We went on his and he lived up to it, man. I mean, Zach Evans uh, is supposed to be the lead back on that team. And let me check the numbers real quick. Yeah, he only had 48 total yards in this game. Uh, he did have a touchdown, but 48 yards. I think he had the first one, that opening drive. Pretty sure that was him that scored there. Um, but Judkins <laughs> comes in with 27 carries for 140 yards, two touchdowns. So couldn't stop the uh, the Power Five school on the road freshman running back. So next time that happens, uh, if there's a, a player stat you can bet on against Tulsa, bet on the freshman running back running for uh, multiple TDs and over 100 yards on the ground. 
Uh, okay, let's move. We can do a little bit more recap as we're going through players of the game here, but let's start on that, and we will start with offense. Um, I'm pretty sure I started last time, so how about you kick us off with offensive player of the game, Matt? See, that, uh, that's hard because for like, it's not Davis Brin because he was injured. <laughs> like that's what it takes to prevent Davis Brin from being <laughs> yeah. the four-time defending um offensive player of the week in my mind um <laughs> yeah. that being said like still close because his performance while he was out there like ran for a touchdown threw for a touchdown like had a really good rating um rating that's weird really good efficiency um like you look in that first drive i think what five of six he had including like three for three on deep passes you know greater than 15 yards like Anyways, I, I said it's not him, and I'm focusing on him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he, he was so. playing lights out. You're, I mean, it's, you're not wrong. Like, he looked amazing out there while he was out there. Uh, and everybody, like, we were lighting them up. It was it was what Ole Miss was most fearing, right, was the Tulsa passing attack. And it was absolutely living up to expectation those first few drives. Yeah. So, but if I go, like, specifically for this game um, and how it turned out, I so I'm kind of torn between Isaiah Epps, who I think I'm going to give it to because he was our leading receiver, had those two touchdowns. He's coming back to the SEC, you know, where he spent his time at Kentucky. Uh, he's been on this stage. I imagine he's played, if he hasn't played on the field at Ole Miss, he's been to Ole Miss. Maybe, actually. I know I know, SEC has, like, the most archaic scheduling, so it's good. very possible that he's never been to Ole Miss. Um <laughs> That being said, like he showed up, whether it was getting, you know, Davis Brin, whether it was getting Braylon Braxton, like he is proven already in four games that he is like that third piece to our elite um, wide receiver room. And like this game, he was the, he was the, he was the guy, like he had more yards than JC Santana, more yards than Keelan Stokes, um, you know, at was averaging 15 yards so to me it's this was this was an Epps game yep totally agree he's mine too uh how can you not caught caught touchdown passes from not one quarterback but both of them that was super cool uh and was you know like he had he was early in the game with a touchdown from Bryn and he had the one in the fourth or was it fourth quarter or third quarter later in the game when it was Braxton uh caught that one in the, in the back of the end zone that was so nice so I agree it's got to be him um I will give another shout out to Bill Jackson true freshman running back on the road on against an sec team and he rips off 10 yards of carry are you kidding me oh my god i was every time he ran the ball i would like look over at uh buddy i was there with nathan and be like hey guess what that st louis boy right there st louis boy and i mean he every time he touched it man it was it was a big run he looked awesome so very excited about him uh eight carries for 77 yards looked fantastic so um one b for me goes to uh goes to bill jackson that was the other one where I was saying like, oh, I'm kind of torn between, but Bill Jackson was the other one I was going to mention as well. Nice. Uh, defense player of the game. Um, man, it was, there were some, there were some awesome plays from the defense, especially in the second half. I was going to go originally with Kendarren Ray, but the thing that prevented me, so I, we, we already talked about him a little bit, right? He had, he forced a fumble and then recovered that fumble that he forced. That is always one of the coolest things you can do, right? So I love that play. The thing that prevents me from giving it to him, he, there's just the high, it's, it's just, 
a highlight going around, right? And I'm like, Ole Miss is sharing this this link or like the video, and it's an Ole Miss receiver catches the ball like probably eight yards out from the end zone, about to score, right? And only one between him and the end zone is is Kendarin Ray, and they're basically squaring off, right? And he just gets torched. I mean, he just gets totally burned, and just a little stutter move to the left. Ray kind of goes over that direction. He cuts into the right and walks into the end zone. I was like, damn, man. Because like of all the guys, that's who I want. Like that's who I want there preventing that from happening. And he, he got beat on that one. So that just the, the fact that most like Ole Miss people are sharing this video around mostly prevents me from giving it to him. I think he played an amazing game. Other than that one play, I think he played great. Uh, I'm going to instead give it to John Michael Terry, who also played an insane game. Six solo tackles in the game. Most solo tackles on the team, nine total, had a 1.5 tackles for loss. Uh, he was out there all night causing havoc. Great run stopping throughout the night as well when we needed it because, man, they were tearing us apart on the ground. So I thought he played well. He really buckled down, I thought, in the second half specifically. So I will give it to him, although I do think uh, there were there were a couple of people that, that have put up some awesome numbers in this game. Um, so, But I'll, I'll go John Michael Terry on this one. Yeah. Um... Maybe it's just because I'm not as plugged into social media and I haven't, or maybe I just don't follow Ole Miss stuff. So I hadn't seen the Kendarin and I, that one isn't quite as burned into my mind. And so to me, the fact that he, that one play was the single best defensive play. I think that we had Um, on top of like, so, you know, this could have gone the other way if officials, if the officiating was done correctly, where powers was being held and still managed to cause a fumble that was turned into an incomplete pass. Yeah. Good call. Um, yep. And so because that didn't happen, I can't credit him with the turnover there. So Ray's <laughs> going to get it. Cause I think all in all, he still played. And like you said, he played a great game and he just had that like highlight positive highlight level play for TU to just kind of like knock it out. You got to wonder now I'm curious. I don't know you know, maybe it's the same receiver. Maybe he's like, all right, you beat me last time, but I'm going I'm to get that ball back. Hey, maybe. Uh, and he maybe did it. Yeah. So yeah. I also am looking. They fumbled five times. And, that didn't make any sense to me. I saw that. Are you looking at ESPN? Lost. I'm looking at uh, sports college sports. Oh, reference. interesting. Yeah. It says that on ESPN, too. And I was like, I don't, really? I don't, yeah, I don't remember that happening. I remember one time they had a snap that fell and they just jumped on it but i don't remember that happening five times me either and it's it's harder you know i feel like when you watch on tv it's easier to get a handle of because you see all the replays and you get to you you remember more of the plays like that um watching live you see them and it's i personally i have more fun at the game live but you definitely forget more plays uh when you're when you're live at the game at least i do Cool. All right. Uh, special teams. Um, Got to go Lachlan Wilson. He had a hell of a game. Six punts, 266 yards, two of them inside the 20-yard line, average 44 yards per punt. It's interesting. So this was my first game, live game of the season. And his punts, I don't know if it was just this game or if it's just no- more noticeable live. They don't look that good coming off his foot, right? This one, a lot of the punts looked kind of bad, but his his talent and this is what Montgomery talks about all the time too is he can control how that ball rolls like the the spin he puts on the ball they ro- the the punts themselves don't go 45 yards right the punts go like 30 yards and then they spin all over the place and they they roll another like 10 15 20 yards down the field and man he did that like every punt there were like people around me in the stands at all miss 
every time the ball left his foot, we're like, Lachlan, what the hell is that? And then it ends up going like 50 yards. And they're like, oh, okay, never mind. I guess that's fine. And that's that's just how he does it, man. And he had a 61-yarder in there too. I mean, hell, like that's, that's a good series for him. And that also reminds me, I, I now know where those five fumbles came from. Because how many times did their oh, uh, yeah, punt the punts. muff, muff yes. it like at least twice, if not three times? That's the other thing. That's the other so. thing, man. Like we were saying, Nathan was like, you know, and, and this is a common thing. You're playing on the road. You got to have a couple of bounces go your way against a team like this, right? And they just kept not doing that. The balls every, just... every time they muffed a punt, it <laughs> yeah. bounced and they would still get like five or seven yards on the return. Like, I know, man. Just absolutely. I was like, one of these has got to go to us, right? And I, we got to the fourth quarter. It's so close. And I, I turned around. I was like, it's going to happen now, right? This is the time. We're punting again. We've had so many not bounce our way. We're going to have one. It's just, it's got like ratios, right? It's going to happen eventually. Uh, it never, it never happened. Yeah, they, they, that's when they switched punt returner. Did they? I didn't uh, even notice yeah. they did that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They, I mean, it makes it, I would too. They're like, the nope. There. No more. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, God, it just kind of like reminds me of the, uh, oh, who did Michigan play? Maryland, maybe? And the opening kickoff just went off the guy's helmet straight into Michigan's. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, you should look. Sicko's had a fun uh, tweet oh about gosh. it as well. That's amazing. But now for me, special teams player of the week, uh, Zach Long. He was perfect. Two, Two field goals. Um, three extra points. Yes, that's right. So, and I mean, like these were key, these field goals kept us in the game. Like this was that field goal at the end of the first half, you know, to kind of get some of the momentum, it's not, I don't, I won't say give us the momentum. Cause it's like, okay, we got three points compared to the 28 straight that they just ran off, yeah. but to kind of it's stop, nice to have that, like stop that. theirs a little bit especially because we were getting the ball back. And so to do, you know, three points right before halftime, three points right after halftime, like that does kind of set the tone a little bit um, to kind of be like, all right, you know, like we're still in this. Let's just keep working. And so I think, you know, to see where he's gone from the Wyoming game, which I think I will would not be. I feel like this is, it isn't too much of a stretch to say that was like maybe his worst game that he's had um, as far as like kicking. So yeah. um, to now it's like, all right, like he's calmed down. Now we're seeing a little bit more of like the Zach long that we're more, you know, familiar, familiar with. Yeah, no, he, he played well for sure. And I think, you know, again, a lot of people there playing on the road. It's not easy to kick in that environment two for two. They weren't that long of kicks, but Easy to miss those on the road in a big stage. So definitely shout out for, for knocking both of those down. Um, something I want to note before we move on, uh, the there were two catches by, and I noticed this live at the game when they happened. I had no idea who the guy was. And so, for, you know, the the benefits of box scores, you can look it up. Uh, freshman tight end, Colby Powers, two catches. So we've got, you know, there's two tight ends that actually get a lot of playing time on this team, and it's Ethan Hall and Bain Tryon. Uh, freshman tight end getting two catches and all miss was not on my bingo card. I would not have picked that one as being something that was feasible or possible to happen. So, uh, both times he made those, I was like, who the heck is that guy? And now I know Colby Powers. So keep an eye out for him. I suppose another, uh, another tight end, maybe one that we will throw the ball to more often than we normally throw the ball. So that's kind of fun. Speaking of tight ends, I am blown away that Ethan Hall did not get a, 
uh, like personal. Uh, <laughs> was he was he was he acting a fool out there? Was he was he I, doing his thing? I think it was just after, um, and I know we're we haven't talked about it yet, but just like the Keelan Stokes targeting uh, hit, like I thought there were a couple of plays where he was just looked like he was out to to wreck the <laughs> dude. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what he does. And I don't think he's really gotten in much trouble this year so far. Not this uh, year. I can't remember anything, so that's nice. But yeah, definitely last year, for sure. Um, yeah, speaking of injuries, let's run through some of those that happened. Uh, obviously, we talked about Davis Brand already. He got hurt somewhat early in, in the second quarter, stayed around for a few more drives, and then eventually got pulled uh, before halftime. Um, so he's out. So he's day-to-day. Matt mentioned already the coach. Coach Montgomery said day to day. Uh, so whatever that means, we'll see. Got to hope that it's, he's going to be here on Saturday. And we already know that. And we're just trying to give Cincinnati the runaround on having to prepare for uh, a mobile quarterback in, in Braylon Braxton and a more traditional, although sometimes mobile. Um, what do we call him? What do we call him last week? Davis, Davis, something Bryn wheels, Davis wheels, Bryn. That's what it was. Uh, I, I said that <laughs> I said it I said it yeah but yeah I think you you copied me or something Mention, you, you said oh. it you said it like in jest I, th- uh, I think I said it be- yeah I said it because you did yes ex- yeah that's what I'm saying um so yeah we'll see if uh if wheels can be back for Saturday but hoping so um Keelan Stokes mentioned him already he got hurt bad it looked bad uh on the video that that we mentioned um stumbling around looking really dizzy although he played later in the game as well so hoping that he will be back uh for Saturday the other ones that I have no idea about, Jordan Ford, you mentioned already, no idea how bad his injury was. I honestly didn't even back. realize he got he hurt. Came, okay, yeah, he came back in, in the game. So. When in the game did he originally go down? Not to uh, before Bryn went oh, out. Oh, really? Wow. I think. And then, but like, that's the thing. He like, he was back, you know, maybe at not too long. Like he came out and he ripped a pretty big, or a, you know, like a good run came back off. So he was in and out from there. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So three for three so far on guys that got hurt and then played longer afterwards. So Bryn Stokes Ford, all three of them. Um, I know that Hayden Grant, the defensive lineman got hurt in the second quarter as well. Uh, not no idea whatsoever, whether he came in again later in the game. Uh, not sure he was down for a while on the field. So he's a, I would guess no, um, that he came back. Not sure if he'll be back for Saturday. And there were a couple other, like several other like linemen, uh, guys that I, you know, from the stands couldn't tell who they were, um, when they were down on the field, but, uh, they were out, they got hurt at some point in there as well. So a minimum of five injuries in this game, I would probably put the maximum uh, of what I can remember at like eight, right? There might've been like eight people from TU's football team got hurt in one game, which that seems like a record to me or something that, that I, I ne- you never see uh, and then the penalties, um, decent mark for Tulsa in this one, seven penalties for 80 yards. It's so funny that I say decent because like, that is honestly, like if you get seven penalties in a game, that's not that good. You're probably like 80th in the country. You know, that's probably about where that is. But like thinking about it, me after years of like 12 and 15 and sometimes edging on 20 penalties in a game, that's like a godsend, you know, so I'll take 80th in the country all day. So seven penalties for 80 yards for Tulsa on this one. Ole Miss had six for 61 yards. So uh, about even. Um, we definitely had the edge in yards, though. Some stupid um, penalties in my mind, though. Like, we had a delay of oh, game yeah. a couple times. And that's that was my one, the one thing that I was kind of frustrated about, especially in the first half, is, like, we used our first time out five minutes into the game to avoid a delay of game. 
You know, I so, honestly, I, I saw you put that on Twitter. I I do not have a problem with that timeout. We were, it was the first, that was the first drive, right? And like, we're trying to establish ourselves here. All Miss had just scored on us in two minutes or however long that drive was. And we're all of a sudden looking at all of a sudden, giving them the ball back already. And we ended up scoring on that drive. So I don't see how that, I know, I know it's not great to burn one early, but when you're on the road trying to establish some momentum, I got no problem with that. If you're trying to get your eggs in a row. Yeah. And I, I get that approach or I get that take but at the same time like we did it again later we burned our second timeout and then we came down to the final and we had a single timeout um on our on that last drive and so you know that it's just frustrating because it's like okay obviously you know these could have been we could have used them and it's more so like this is not the first time like if this is like okay like this is unusual but I feel like this is kind of a pattern that we've seen in the past. And so that's where I think my frustration comes from at least. Yeah. But like when we needed them at the end, you know, like timeouts reset at halftime, right? And at so, halftime. Yeah. No, I'm talking at the end of the first half on that last drive. Oh, oh, you're saying like maybe if we had them, we could have scored rather than settling for a field goal there. I'm thinking, yeah. Cause we had just, you know, you change your plays up based on whether or not you're going to be able to, to play with the clock so yeah that's fair but i mean in the grand scheme of the game i think when you're on the road trying to get something you know put your feet in the sand and and make your presence known there i got no problem with that time but i mean i see i see what you're saying though for sure okay uh that's enough time on all miss we've already been going for 40 minutes so let's keep it rolling we are going to skip ahead to um to rick dixon here and oh my god what an awesome interview uh it was second uh second time we've had him on the show as we mentioned before Really, really, uh, man, it was just please listen to the whole thing. There's some really good stuff in there about new things that I, I either hadn't heard before or just forgot about uh, coming to TU game day stuff, both football and basketball in the future. Uh, lots of good stuff about the 12 team playoff. Lots of good stuff about just the tailgate experience and, and his experience with Ole Miss and all kinds of stuff like that. So stick around for it. It was awesome having Rick on the show once again. And uh, and we'll get you over there right now. All right, we're back, and we are here with Rick Dixon, who, as you know, is TU's current AD and also former AD. Rick, awesome to have you back on. I was getting ready for the show, and I think I think you are, if I'm getting this right, I'm pretty sure outside of, like, the conference podcast that we have on, like, every year, like, we'll play Tulane, we'll always have Fear the Wave on, we'll play Houston, we'll always have the Houston guys on, but I'm pretty sure outside of our conference, like, rivals and opponents that we always have on, pretty sure you're the first repeat guest on this podcast. So, uh, very excited about it. Happy to talk to you about all kinds of stuff. Um, but welcome back. How you been? I'm doing great guys. Good to see both of you. I hope you had a great summer. Uh, but you just overwhelmed me with that comment that being receiving that kind of distinctive honor being, the <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I can think of any awards that might've come my way over my career that tops them all. This is number one, huh? Yeah. All right. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, no, you, uh, we, we ended the year last year with you coming on the show. That was, you were, you were the last episode of our fourth season and we talked about all kinds of stuff, but lots of momentum going into the end of the year last year with women's basketball doing so well, Eric Conkle coming in, uh, talked about Brad Carson and what he's done to energize the fan base along with you and the actions you've taken. And, um, there was a lot of excitement at the end of the last year and, uh, your episode was I mean, either the most or the second most listened to episode we have ever, ever done. So very happy to have you back on. And uh, it's, I'm looking forward to hopefully making me, making this maybe a, a yearly thing. 
So I, I, I just say we set our sights on Yellowstone and try to take them down. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Maybe this is the one. This is the one. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, but I know I saw you at uh, at All Miss, so we were both there, which was very fun. All Miss was cool. I mean, obviously the game didn't go quite as uh, we were hoping, especially down the stretch there. Three chances uh, in the fourth quarter to uh, kind of tie, tie that one off and tie it up and hopefully go into OT. Couldn't get it done, but uh, the game overall, I mean, the experience, this, this, I know you've probably been, been there many times I, with Tulane. I think you guys used to play them somewhat often. Um, but it was my first time to the Grove experiencing that and, uh, the pregame environment and the atmosphere around and, uh, just the spectacle of it all. It was, it was pretty overwhelming. You can get lost in there. There's a lot of stuff happening, but, um, what I, with you being there before, uh, is this how it always is? Was this one bigger or smaller than, than previous times you've been there? Or, or what did you think of the whole experience? I would rate it, uh, you know, that was, I, I don't know, you know, other like you said, Ryan, other than the, the teams that I've been there with, but I would tell you from just knowing a lot of uh, Ole Miss alums, friends, people like that over the years, I think it was, you know, it was, it was in their upper quarter of what they would consider, you know, live, vibrant uh, game days for them. It was that, that looked to me like they were pretty cooking full steam, I'm sure, when they do you know, if they're deep into the uh, into the conference race or they're doing a Mississippi State rival game, that type of thing that yeah. tips a little bit. But this was this to me was was for those that never experienced SEC game day uh, fervor. Uh, and I told I told our group going in there uh, with Brad Carson, some of our trustees and others, I said, said, you're about to experience what is considered the, the gold standard. Yeah. Uh, game day tailgating across the country that's that's the one that over the last 25 30 years when tailgating became its own took on its own life is what was long ago established at, at uh, in oxford it'll miss has been the ones that people try to emulate yeah i mean i i was impressed you know I, you hear about you hear about the grove and everything that comes along with it and all the tents and all that stuff but uh, definitely was bigger than I was anticipating. I was, I was pretty overwhelmed walking in there. I thought it was amazing. Everyone was, was very nice, very kind, especially as like, just a, you know, I feel like Ole Miss fans don't, don't look at Tulsa as a, uh, a, an aggressor, right. They're, they're going to be pretty nice to you coming in. And that was definitely the case. Um, so that, that was cool. Uh, the, I don't know, man, it was just, it was, an, it was another level. I like, I remember I went back to, um, I went to the OU game, TUOU in 2015. I think it was 2015 uh, in Norman, right? And that was lightly attended, definitely compared to how OU usually packs things. And it was an early game. It was like, you know, one of their early kickoffs, but it was also just, I, I don't think the fans got as excited about TU or, or what it was, but that was not, like you said, that was not the case for Ole Miss. They definitely showed out every, it was, it was packed out there. Every tent was full. Everybody was out there. They did the whole walk of champions thing. And that was wild. Um, so there was definitely no drop off, I think, in terms of uh, what they what they considered the quality of opponents to be coming in. Right. I think the other thing, too, Brian and Matt, is that they, you know, the other, you saw it and experienced it and you talk about it. But until you've done that, seen it and experienced it is what makes it unique. And, and that's hence the name, the Grove. But it truly is in a grove. Yep live oak trees and that ambience that comes with that. And, uh, and it's, even though it's large and, and it felt like there were 60 to 7,000 
yeah. you know, 1,000 people outside. When we went inside, it was more in the 40 to 45,000, you know, so they don't all come in, but it yeah. was considering that scope and scale, uh, it, it, it felt like you were jam packed, you know, it was in, yeah. in a large, but a condensed area and it, that hard to describe or understand, but meaning with all those trees it is, you know, you might only be able to see 20 yards and you think, oh, that everybody's right here. You go 20 yards and you see another 5,000 people and it just continues <laughs> yeah. on and on and on, but yeah. kind of shrouded in, in, you know, within all those trees and which is great because it gives it a, a, a distinct flavor, its own, you know, unlike oh, other yeah. just open lots or those kind of things. So that, that I think is part of the mystique of it is that the fact they've done it so long and then when the rest of the country kind of followed suit, then all of a sudden, you know, they became the, the, the industry standard and, and take a lot of pride in it. You can see. Yeah. And another like benefit of the trees, you know, the, the actual trees being out there, it keeps you in the shade, right? You got the tents to begin with, but then you've got the trees on top of the tents that are really kind of blocking out some of the sun and it's hot in Mississippi. Right. So that is, that is definitely helpful. Uh, I definitely got some value out of that. And, and you could get lost in there. I mean, you're, like you're saying, there's just lines and lines of people and tents and trees, and you got to keep your wits about you out there for sure. And I'm not sure a lot of that's going on. The keeping the wits about them. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. There is a lot of uh, people without without many wits out there. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but I mean, with this, uh, just get back on track a little bit with the scale of like the Ole Miss, right? The Grove, SEC on the road, all this, and the kind of tailgating that they do. I know we've had a, a big emphasis on game day improvement for TU specifically, um, and that has paid off. I, I saw the fan numbers for the home opener were twenty two thousand. That's the most we've had out there in a long time. Um, but when you think of Ole Miss and how different it is being at an Ole Miss stadium, is there, is there anything we can take from that, like from an experience like that to a TU game day thing, or are those two just astronomic like worlds apart that there isn't the, the kinds of things we do on our campus have to be different than what Ole Miss does. I think so guys, I really don't. There's, you know, that, that, uh, you know, kind of, kind of ties into the axiom of, of, Look, some of the best gatherings we've ever been to. Some are small and intimate. Some are larger, grander, right? It's all about the kind of the vibe and the esprit de corps that's that's going on. And I can't remember, you know, the best gatherings I've been part of, but I never went around and counted who was yeah. who wasn't right. It was all about it was all about that vibe. And is there a great feeling? And is there joy and their festivity? And so I think on 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 that you know on in that vein and through that lens that you know we're especially for for coming out of the gate year one of of a relaunch or renewed emphasis on on you know creating a, a more joyful festive uh event you know i think we're i think we're right where we hoped we'd be this far and again we're a third of the way into our first season doing it but the first two experiences were were really great the first one more just all comers and, and high energy and top name act and band and a lot of activities and events. The second one more family focused, had a lot of great feedback on how wonderful it was for young families with young children. Nice. Folks with grandchildren out there, that whole thing. A little more relaxed, but still just free flowing, felt very natural, enjoyable. And to see, you know, I've heard this for years, even in my first stint, how do we attract and grow a younger fan base. Well, 
Right. Had in that second game, so many young families and young children. And the thing that we just did when we dedicated the Thomas Plaza, the new play field, uh, right? I don't know if you've seen it yet. I think, Matt, you've been there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just added a great element in stadium uh, to what's going on in there. So now you didn't feel like you were just going to church and sitting in a pew. (laughs) Yeah. You can carry some of that uh, game day and and tailgate enthusiasm right into the stadium. And now here we go. Not only is the game atmosphere underway, but we've tried to enhance and elevate and really add into and fill dead spots and not, you know, the, the, the art of it is not, is to build upon and enhance and not overwhelm. That's the fine line, you know, is right. You know, let the centerpiece take, take precedence, but now you add to and enhance with props and different things, but you don't do it in a way that's overwhelming. First game we had a, a little trouble. I think most people know, guys that we just, uh, you know, a year from now, we'll, we'll unveil a, a brand new video board and, and sound system, uh, you know, cause we're nearly 20 years old because yeah. what we're all dealing with across the world is, you know, supply chain, so forth. It's literally a year in waiting to be yeah, nice that done. So what we did this year is we can't go through another year of, of subpar acoustics, sound, PA, all of it. And so that's why people see the, the uh, temporary uh, system we have in place. Good thing is it's, it's greatly improved the sound quality. The first game, we probably overpowered and we dialed it back a bit. And then, and then instead of it being a sole source, we have it coming from two different directions in the stadium now. So I thought game two was a big improvement. Nice. Both were an improvement over what's been happening the last several years because just just couldn't couldn't hear or understand what was going on. Yeah, that's definitely true. That that's one Matt and I have talked about before is just the you know, it's either either too loud or literally, like you said, can't understand the word like what, what's being physically said. Um so I'm excited. I'll be at the Cincinnati game uh this this weekend. So that'll be my first time uh checking out all the new stuff. So I'm excited about that. But uh, of all the new things, I guess what is um, most impressed or excited you uh, that's come to game day for TU this year? Any Anything in particular that you think is the coolest or that you're most excited about? Uh, I think just just the kind of uh, entirety entirety of it, of combination of yeah. pre and, uh, and then in game. Uh, and the fact that it's it's not just from those that are there, starting with those that are there. I mean, one and all come up to us, myself, Brad, our staff and others, and just thank us and say, you know, unbelievable. And then all week you hear more and more feedback and, and uh, input into what they see, what they like, encouragement, uh, you know, a few suggestions ongoing, things of that nature. I, that, that to me, and you guys know, because you contributed and sat in on some of our uh, early last spring and summer on some of our uh, little focus groups and task force that that helped us do you know create this 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 new rollout and so I'm getting to hear what you guys were part of too all that planning all that investment remember we said I don't know when it was late July or whatever I said okay guys for year one you've you've loaded us up our plates are full yeah. let us let us go execute 
So I'm responding back uh, to you guys that have this side gig called the Hurricast, uh, you know, as, as our little advisory team. That, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of great, great suggestions, input, and contribution from folks like you and, as you know, many others that oh, yeah. in that role and helped us craft a plan that really was, if we can think back even last spring when we did this before, and, and you remember the things we talked about is about it's at the end of the day, whatever those things are, is there's, there's one sole purpose in all of it, and that is to create an energy and vibe and an atmosphere that lends to fun. That's when I think of my TU life, whether it's student athlete, AD, where, wherever role it's been, it's always been some of the most joyous experiences, moments in my life. And so mm -hmm. I, I want to, I want us to collectively together recreate that for others. Yeah, I, I totally understand. I feel the same way. Um, and you mentioned the big rollout and everything this year and, uh, that it seems like that's all gone extremely well and you got some feedback. And one of the things I thought was really impressive, uh, came from Brad on Twitter, which was a thread of just like, he, he was just asking publicly, Hey, how, what did you think? What can we do better specifically? Right. And a ton of people like replied with very like pointed things that could have been just a little bit better or a little bit tweaked or whatever. And from Matt going to the second game against Jacksonville state, it sounded like a lot of those got done, right? Like literally one week later, uh, which is pretty wild. I, I mean, to be able to have that turnaround and that kind of public feedback that you're willing to take and put into place, uh, it's pretty nice. And I know you come into play there as well. So uh, props to both you and Brad on, on that kind of stuff. Listen, you know, Brad and I, just because of the roles we play, but there, there's many, many others, yeah. you know, Malay and uh, Jen Bennett and Drew Friedman and, on and on there's so many people for sure the execution team you know it's 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 easy for us because of our roles to open doors and listen but at the same time you've got to have a team that execute and so those those folks have been the unsung heroes i mean they're they're bringing it to fruition you know what what we hear what we'd envision and then the both the encouragement, but also, but also the, the continued suggestions. And that's been great. Uh, and we, we want to continue. It's not going to just stop with, with football. It'll, you know, I think people will be equally pleased, uh, excited uh, with, with what the plans they'll see in, uh, in Reynolds this upcoming year too. Yeah. I was going to ask, are you, are you able to talk about specifics on, on any of the upcoming stuff or is that all under wraps for now? Well, it's not so much wrapped because it's still being baked. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But, uh, uh, it's definitely in that mode. In fact, yeah. I, uh, from we had a gathering of former basketball letter winners earlier this evening. That's why we're we're doing this late tonight. And, oh, cool. Uh, uh, besides, I think the one piece everybody does know about is our new court uh, yep. that really added a lot of color and life and brightness back into the building. And there's going to be a lot of other uh, facility improvements that they'll experience. In fact, the uh, whole front plaza is ripped up right now. Just sitting, oh, here, wow. sitting here hoping it's all uh, poured and baked by uh, Saturday. So yeah. you make it through to the stadium. But there's going to be a lot of energy pumping in that arena again. And I think it's probably been a while since that's the case. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, 
I got to stay ahead of the curve. So we'll do something in uh, during basketball season so I can be the only third time guest. That's- <laughs> I'm going to be the third, the first third time guest. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You're going to be exponentially uh, above everybody else, which is this is the way it should be with the AD. That, that's amazing. I love it. We were just, I mean, it's, it's very cool. Just a, a side note here that you are even down to do this kind of stuff. We were just on the, on a podcast with uh, a Cincinnati guy previewing the Bearcats for, you know, this week's game and whatever. And um, he was like, I can't for the life of me even get in touch with the AD, much less like have him on my show. So it's just very, very happy that, you and Brad and just, I don't know if it's a symptom of just how you guys are, or if it's like a TU being small thing and it makes it a little bit easier to get in touch with you. But, uh, I don't think that's the the common case. So I appreciate it. No, maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. You mentioned the basketball court. Um, can we talk about that a little? I mean, I, I love the design, huge improvement. We talked about it on the show a few weeks ago when it was first announced and everything. Um, what, what was it like? Uh, how, how involved were you in, the design and the execution of all of that, or did you leave it up to some of the other people you mentioned before to kind of figure out the, the nuts and bolts of it all? And um, how did that all, how that all come to pass? Well, we all, we, you know, that was, that was back in, even in the time uh, Ryan and Matt, where you guys were involved with our, with our task force. And as remember, we kind of segmented out all the different areas for improvement and, mm-hmm. and beyond activities and, uh, you know, the, uh, really the, uh, atmosphere and, th- and things of that nature. And then the, the fan experience, you know, the, the quality, the improvements, all those things. One of the other categories, as you remember, we talked about were some even short-term, what are some facility improvements we can do? And the, the one obvious thing, and we know this and we were tackling it already was, you know, starting with the major things such as video boards, scoreboards, sound systems, well, a year from now, people will come back to Chapman Stadium and have a state-of-the-art 2023, the best, you know, best in industry type, uh, you know, equipment and and nice. just that whole experience better. We're also uh, already underway doing, we'll do a similar thing where we're doing some, this year, some upgrades to the video board in, in uh, Reynolds Center. We'll have to go through a season with a temporary system that will be improved from what we have, but not, you know, long-term a year from now, like the football, then we'll then have a new audio system. So those kind of things are the, the heavy lifts. Then the rest of it can be more cosmetic. Like you do with this, with a, uh, with a court, there'll be right. a, a big announcement about what we're doing with the student section, which I think I, uh, the students, as you guys recall, cause they were part of the focus group too. Yep. Uh, they are as they are in football with what we've done there, the changes. And, and I think they'll be even more dramatic in basketball. Um, and then uh, let's see. There, yeah, there's probably a couple other surprises in, in the works. On the, on the court design, we really went back to our manufacturer, our court manufacturer that we've had there and, and use, utilized our own uh, people in the uh, – we've got a, a young lady now, uh, Ellen – that is our creative director. She's actually, if you look at our social media the last month or so, I mean, it's been the best by far. <laughs> One is we yeah. we told everybody in the department that had a social media person, whether it was just, a, you know, some of the programs have a student worker or a graduate assistant and some of the bigger programs have a full-time person. At the end of the day, we br- bundled them together and said, you all report to her, even nice. though 
service, these different programs, when she says it's time to put on the TU hat, not the basketball hat or the tennis program hat, but the TU hat, now all of a sudden we've got 20 of them working under one umbrella. And that's why I think we've done, I think, I think, I, I think, I really truly believe it's had a significant impact on the increased response and interaction and ticket sales and those things. Nice. You know, our sales team, these guys coming behind it with a lot of great messaging, all that stuff, and people continue to see that. So we, with Ellen on our side, and she would do the mock-ups, we worked directly with the, uh, you know, with the, the court design people and went through a lot of different iterations. I know, I knew, uh, or I recall that Brad threw out a lot of teasers that got people excited. Every yeah. <laughs> yeah, Her, he did. Uh, uh, Hurricane Katrina coming at us. So, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, which was fun, you know, I, I love the, the way he's gone at it with adding a, you know, not many presidents will put themselves out there and get in, in, aged in the folly piece of it, but he right. had, and it's, and it's served a good role for us because it's because that the fact that a president is doing it, I think it, it cuts an even wider swath than a coach or AD or, you know, anybody else would as well. It brings others, absolutely others to the table that might not come otherwise. Um, so that's kind of how we got there. We finally said, I said, Brad, I can't, I can't get a kid to go out on the court if you do hurricane Huffy. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but work with us on this. And so he was, we had fun with it over the summer. And, and uh, I know he was, I know he's proud of the, of the end result and outcome as well. Yeah, no, it, it looks awesome. And I, I like what you said about the, having the consistent voice at the top kind of, um, as a, as a consultant for the other, like the people running the, not that she is a consultant, but like as a role to play somebody who's kind of centralizing, some communication strategy among the different the the different sports and their accounts, right? I'm going to challenge you. Matt's already been in the stadium this year, so when you go Saturday, so one of the things you know was a little bit subtle, but it's it's a dramatic shift, and uh, for for really the whole university since I've been gone over you know 26 years, and then a lot of the rebuild, the things you experienced the students there of our entire campus, one of the decisions made at some point was, it's gonna be a very mundane and neutral and, and, and subdued um, uh, just overall look, meaning there's not gonna be anything on our campus that jumps at you or overwhelms you, right? Everything was very, very neutral. Yep, for sure limestone which is indigenous and native to us all those things but there was never not a lot of branding yeah so you walk in matt's already seen it i think that's one of the first things you'll notice is the big difference in our stadium is that again not overwhelming but we we completely put all what they call wayfinding wayfinder signage all the directions all the the mark sections etc and class that up put more of our official now to you logos out, made it more consistent. Those things were either non-existent or over 20 years old. But we also, like in all the vomitories, for example, created color, but we also illustrated all of our bowl victories all around the state, right. all kinds of program milestones, all Americans, things of that nature. And then my pride and joy, we unveiled the morning of the, of the uh, first game was the, I call it my, my mural that faces 
on the north, uh, yeah, the northwest uh, grandstand uh, that has the featuring the the four first round draft choice. Oh yeah, four Hall of Famers. The the road to Canton starts here. So good. <laughs> that in my previous life that or, or stint that was the you know that's where we used to highlight uh, bowl games for example, but it was just. You know, it was just concrete finish. No, you know, no life. Yeah. So you'll see life. And we invested a lot in, uh, and a lot of it was because of the, uh, you know, the again, the overall effort. But we also had that centerpiece, the Thomas Plaza. And so that night, uh, I mean, we'd spent literally the entire month of August sanitizing, power washing, replacing signage, adding color, installing the new play field, which is really awesome. You know, they, even the Thomas brothers took snapshots at game one as, you know, it went from nobody in the stadium to over 100 kids playing there at one time during the game. You know, awesome. that kind of life and activity and, and you know, that's, that's hitting the chord that we wanted to hit. But I really, I'm going to challenge you that don't pass up Saturday trying to take in all the changes you can see in the stadium. I want, then I want to report back from you. Sounds good. No, that's definitely, that's like my number one priority is try to see what's, you know, see what's like jumps out to me in real life. Right. Cause when I, from here, I I'm just seeing it all either on TV or on social media or whatever. And when you started talking just now, it was like, you were talking about how everything's kind of, uh, or before was sort of mundane, the same ish color. It's all that kind of dust gold on all the buildings and everything. And it looks good, but it's not, yeah, it doesn't jump out at you. And the ones that jumped out in my brain when you started talking was uh, absolutely, the first thing right away was the the road to Canton starts here. That thing like totally, it's it's a bright blue on the on the gold background of the building. I loved that. Um, and then the other one was the uh, the football field, right? The the mini football field with, with the kids on it. And you mentioned both of them. And I am most excited to see both of those. Uh, but there's all kinds of other stuff too, right? I mean, I know soccer season's going on right now. The men's soccer team is extremely successful. We we went to a few games last year, and uh, that was the first time I had been to it. Or no, I'd been in college, but first time since college that I had been back to a, a men's soccer game. And man, we had an absolute blast out there. So it's like there's so much cool stuff happening around campus, and I feel like I left at the worst possible time to like try to experience all of this stuff. So I'm like I've been looking forward to uh, to this game for a long time. I'll be back for homecoming as well, of course, but. Um, this is the first time that I'll be back since uh, to see all the all the big changes. So definitely excited about it. We're 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 happy to host you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, Matt. When you were there uh, for the for the last two home games, did you what what jumped out to you um, the most of of all the changes around campus? Um, the giant shopping cart was oh was yeah definitely, was definitely <laughs> up there. Uh, that was just kind of exciting. No, and like. One, I think was just the number of people on campus. So I feel like it used to be when I walked for, from my house over to camp, you know, make that half mile walk, I wouldn't really come across a lot of people. And now like it was like, there were people both in the neighborhood walk in, like it was pretty crowded. And then once you got on campus, it just felt like how oh, it almost felt like an OU game, but without OU needing to be, you know, playing to get those numbers. And so that was really cool. And I did like that. Um, definitely got the, uh, better treatment on the sound being up in the press box. I didn't quite experience, I think the, uh, the volume shifts that people were talking about. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Um, yeah, just 
I, I don't know, just the whole, the energy starting from the very beginning, like the MC was just super energetic, trying to get the fans into it early and often. And that's something that, you know, I love to see because it's, you know, as when you're engaged from the beginning of the game, you're going to be engaged the, the whole game. And so that was just a lot of, I really liked that as well. Good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So looking, looking forward to the Cincinnati game briefly. Um, got the Oktoberfest theme going on. Uh, Matt and I talked about it a bit already, but it sounds like they're going to have all kinds of stuff. They're going to have TU steins. They're going to have carnival rides, uh, all the inflatables that I guess are usually out there. Um, some other games and stuff like that. But, uh, is there anything else that off the top of your head that you can think of Rick that, um, fans should look forward to and, and try to come out to this game for? aside from it being like a big time game against the probably likely conference leader right now uh, that we can hopefully get a leg up on early. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's time to come. Uh, I, I can't say this as a pro in the industry, but I'm let, I'm going to let, I'm going to credit you guys for dubbing this the bond voyage game. So <laughs> nice. You know, I think we, it, it's another, obviously what they've done with their programs being, been great, great for them, great for our league. And, uh, you know, they've been a great league member and so forth, but you know, there's a few things happened along the way here down the stretch that, uh, it's fitting meet should be at our place seemed to be a struggle to make that happen for uh, a few years. So now for sure. And, uh, I think we should pay homage, uh, appropriately and respectfully and send them, send them on their way. So, (laughs) Um, but no, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great night. We've got beautiful weather, uh, really looking forward to that, you know, uh, just people being able to come out and enjoy and, and really everything, you know, that I've always loved about college sports, college football, about what it creates of bringing people together. That's, that's joy in me is that Brenda and I, uh, the last two games have just, after being up there in the morning and working with our staff to get things set up, go home, clean up. And then I bring her back up with me and go around in a golf cart so we can see all over, you know, from the stadium all the way uh, up and down eighth street to uh, Chapman commons and just see anything, everything and, and stopping from tent to tent and, and then all the, the common areas and, and just watching, you know, that's like, okay, this is, this is what we drew up. This is what, we, this is what our intent yeah. be it, to see it actually, fulfilled is is very you know that's very satisfying it's, it's you know you, I, i'm proud of of all involved you know i really am and that's that's you know that's and that's a lot of why i came back is that this place right. great great history great tradition great meaning for all of us right and so for all all kinds of different reasons we all had different experiences but but it's what i say to our student athletes all the time is is we're special we're unique uh, not because we're entitled, but because we come from a di- you know we come at it from a different angle and we have a different path to travel and different challenges than everybody else. But we take pride in that. Mm-hmm. that that's, that's the that's the crux of who we are. Was we we you know we we really uh, I think relish uh, understanding that for us to be on a a, a similar footing than others we compete with and associate with, we got to work that much harder, climb that much higher to do it. And when yep. you, there's a greater satisfaction, a greater reward. 
So. Yeah. And you know, I, I just saw a stat last week that I think speaks to this and it was that he was going into the Ole Miss game. It was Caden McFarland from KJRH in Tulsa. And he, the stat was like, Tulsa has covered the spread against ranked opponents, 10 straight games or something like that. And I feel like that's because of that reason, right? The, the guys on this team, they love Tulsa, but they, they want to prove that they can play to the same level as these ranked guys. Right. And we've been ranked before too. And we've, we've proven that we can play that at that level as well. But I think they get a little extra juiced when it's somebody with the brand name, like a sense, like Cincinnati's got that name at this point, right. Or an Ole Miss or an OU or whoever. Right. And those guys, man, you can tell they come out fired up for these games and to finally get one at home. Uh, I am, I think it's going to be a hell of a game, especially with it being six o'clock, you know, we get the night game. It's on ESPNU. I think that's going to be big time. I, I can't wait. I think it's going to be a, a, a heck of a one, a heck of a game. I know a big day. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Let's let's uh let's transition a bit to uh, something not on the topic of Cincinnati or game day or anything like that, but uh, a big topic that we have not really talked about much or at all on our podcast yet, uh, just with all the TU stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but big news, uh, and I know you're you're probably excited to talk about this one. The twelve team playoff is a thing that is actually happening after after a couple years of speculation, uh, especially last year was a big year that it first got floated. It had some momentum and then all the, all the realignment stuff with OU and Texas joining and all the, all the fallback from that kind of derailed those conversations. It seemed like seemed maybe dead in the water for a while. Um, and then all of a sudden in like two weeks, it's, it's back and it's happening. So we've got a 12 team playoff. sounds like, uh, as early as 2024, um, as late as 2026. So not even that wide of a range uh, of possibilities there, but to me, it seems like maybe one of the best things that, that could have happened to TU, uh, at least in, in recent memory for me. But um, what, do, what do you think about it all? Were you surprised when this was announced? Did you know this was coming before everybody else? What was it like for you? Um, well, I knew they, I knew they, guys, I knew they had uh, re-engaged in the talks. Now, just to take a step back is, so if you, if you look at, and you, you kind of, segued it, uh, Ryan, as to how it occurred, we were moving that way very, very rapidly, you know, yeah. 18, 24 months ago. And then, as you said, starting with the OU Texas move, which kind of, it just brought everything to a standstill that continued 12 months later. So we were at, you know, at a, at a crossroads and our, that, that kind of polarized everything uh, that, that, Many of us have worked for, I mean, all the way back to the BCS days. Yeah, right. More inclusive, uh, you know, postseason for football, because it's the one sport that's just been absolutely adamantly opposed to that. They, they would rather have control of something than be inclusive. And that's been the, that's been the MO for all these years and decades. That's why they didn't even have a championship for <laughs> of the history of college football, right? It was a fourth riders vote. Um, yeah, just, just absolutely ridiculous that that was the case for so long. You know, physical sport of all, and we wouldn't even decide it in competition. Yeah. So you can understand we've been upside down for a long time. But yeah, for sure. Specifically to this, and I think it's really, you, you, set, you set this up correctly. I think it went unnoticed other than, okay, it was just the, most people took it as a next step progression from 
the two-game BCS to the four-game playoff to now 12. Mm-hmm. And it went under the radar because it was announced the Friday before the, the opening kickoff of college football. So it kind of got buried in that. Oh, yeah, okay, great. Now there's going to be more teams. Yeah. Something very, very uh, really, and I would say to you, even the national media, for the most part, has still not locked onto this. That's why that's why we're doing it here. The, we're the <laughs> we're the breaking news group in the whole. Let's country. go. So let's do it. About this. For the last twenty four years, starting with ninety eight with the BCS. In fact, the team, the program, the school I was part of, played in that ninety eight Rose Bowl that they referred to as that last great Rose Bowl, which Ooh. meant that for seventy five years, no matter rankings or anything else, a Big Ten champ played a Pac Ten champ. Right. Washington State played Michigan, and, and it just happened to be the, in the co-national championship game. The very next year, the BCS started. That's why they recalled, called it, not necessarily because of the game, although it was a great game, but because yeah. of the occurrence. And so for all of that time, think about it. The next 14 years, Tulsa, Tulane, SMU, 55 schools were, were then labeled not something you were non BCS. They went through maybe almost a 16 year period, 14 years where you were not something and the damage that that label and branding did to universities. I can't tell you how widespread it was. It really means that every dollar invested, every dollar paid to a coach, every dollar spent to recruit an athlete, all those things were not meaningful because you were not something. Yeah. What happened at the start of every season, you were just playing for the, for the fun of it, for the love of it, right? You, you, you couldn't win the race. For sure. We evolved to something called the FBS championship, right? And, and the CFP. And so those things said, okay, we'll increase this. We'll double the size to four, but only the, you have to be ranked in the top six of a power, you know, of a power five conference and, you know, or you can run the table and have 200 things happen like Cincinnati did and exactly. maybe a century or two, you can beat all those odds and, and hell freezes over and you actually play in it. Right. We just increase the payout to you, but sit on the sideline. That's what happened for the last eight years. Yes. Now, but with that announcement, here's what changed that that went under the radar. No longer was there an acknowledgement that five conferences got an automatic bid. That's gone. Today, the champion of the top six rated conferences, and then the next six most deserving highest ranked programs. So think of this: in a in a eight year period. This league we're in would have qualified seven times. Yeah, I know. Just five insanity. Five of them as an automatic qualifier. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice. So, no longer are you not something. The, the, the difference is all these uh, acronyms and labels that we've lived with for 24 years now, most of your two's lives yeah. are gone. Right. The only thing that's lacking is somebody to stand up and say, wait a minute, we're all FBS programs. That's it. 
there's not a power five. I mean, hell, the power five became power two this summer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, there is no power five. Yeah. There is no, you can only, if you're in the club, you get an automatic invitation to the, to the dance. That's over. Mm-hmm. It's competitive driven, competitive qualified. If you're the highest rank of six champions, I don't care if you're the Sun Belt, the Mac, you're in automatically. Think of that. It may be the thing that saves college football. I agree. I agree, man. I, I think it's a monstrous deal. You hit it on the head with a lot of that. Um, the, the thing that gets me, and I mean, I know, I know UCF and Cincy and Houston will be making more money in the big 12, but you got to think like now, you got to think now, like had they stayed in the league, their chances of making the playoff are higher, right? are like way higher than they are moving to the big 12. And you could argue that Tulsa's chances of making the playoff are now higher than Cincinnati, UCF and Houston, because I think, you know, I know the Sun Belt is, is having a hell of a year this year and the Mountain West is always up there. But I mean, there's an easy argument to be made that even after UCF, Cincy and Houston leave the league, that the American will still be more often than not the top dog of those five, right? Which gives Tulsa a chance to stake their claim at the top of this conference and like have a serious chance at, at making the playoff somewhat regularly. Like not, I'm not saying it's going to happen every year, but it's a hell of a, of a twist of events. Well, you can, you can say with the, with the sample size you have, it sure happened seven out of eight years. Yeah, I know, but I'm going to, you got to discipline yourself. Don't say the other five. It's the 10 or all. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Programs. Doesn't matter if some groupings, make more money in the regular season than others. They, they always did anyway. Mm-hmm. What matters now is the access to postseason is on the same level now as all of our other sports yep. NCAA is Gonzaga has the same chance that North Carolina does. Tulsa has the same chance in football that Notre Dame does or Ohio right. That's never been the case. That's what changed. You guys got to stay locked into all those other terms and, and names and stigmas died with that vote and that, and that adoption of this new model is power five, group of five, all those things went, as soon as we transition, they go out. That's the old model, they've been scrapped, they're done. And the, and the people that recognize that first and understand it, it's a whole new day and era. It, it's, it's the thread that can hold all of us together because otherwise you already saw where it was going. Yep. We were down, you know, the, the top brands all migrating into two docking stations. Likely the next step is they were going to break away, you know, yeah, not, exactly. not necessarily inclusive. There were a lot of teams in those leagues that would have got left behind too, but that was kind of the intermediate step on the way to a super league or a premier league or whatever they're going to call it that just left and went on their own. This thread likely can be the thing that holds us together. And more, and most importantly for us is now we, we don't deal daily or won't deal daily with that uh, undeserved brand and stigma right. on, not just Tulsa, but any of those 55 like us. That's significant guys. It's, it's absolutely, I'm telling you the, the biggest thing that's happened in college football and college athletics in the last 24 years. Yeah. And most 
don't know it, but now you two do. So I expect you to, to <laughs> exploit it, promote it, and run with it. <laughs> I mean, I, to- I totally agree. You can you can totally see why that's the case, right? And my, my only question, I guess, for you that I have not gotten a straightforward answer on looking or I haven't, you know, dug super deep into this yet, but um, you're the perfect person to ask about it is just like if, if I'm a, a, as the aforementioned power five, non no, no more power five AD or president that's in these meetings, why am I agreeing to this? I, I understand you get more teams potentially in the playoff, which makes you more money. Is that the sole reason or is there another, like why else would a power five president or AD want to give this kind of access or allow this kind of access for the rest of the schools? It's a great take uh, guys that uh, Ryan and Matt that you, that you locked onto that and caught it because here's exactly why these last two summers movement of those four superpowers sent a signal. Now it's not just to us, those that were had already been left behind, you better believe that a lot of presidents and ADs at those yeah. okay. in our own footprint, how many schools left behind by OU in Texas all of a sudden felt completely disenfranchised. You know what? They felt like us. Yeah. So all of a sudden it wasn't just these 55. There were several schools, particularly in those two conferences saying, wait a minute, all of a sudden we're not because that's what that was the message sent when those four superpowers left those two respective conferences. And the ones they were going to, there were schools in that conference that said, gosh, we look more like ones, the ones you left behind. Yeah. So I think I think it was all of a sudden the realization that this 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 power five things not not the end game here. It's gonna be a super brand league only. And there's mm. five league deep full of that. So I think that collectively that, and I think the other thing was, you know, the, the last seven to eight years of lawsuits that have brought the NCAAs to its knees. And a lot of them, yeah. a lot of them at the core of it had the same thread. They were not being inclusive, whether it was inclusive of student athletes uh, inclusive of schools and programs that, you know, it's like acting in that manner had resulted in tremendous financial losses, power losses, all those things. And so I think into that group of presidents that run the CFP, that board to their credit realized if we're going to survive, we've got to do, we've got to change course in how we operate. And that's what, that's why, that at the root of it is exactly why this is so significant because it that divide was not 60, you know, what 65 schools and 55 schools anymore. It was all of a sudden, maybe there's, you know, 80 and 30, right. All of a sudden 80 woke up and said, wait a minute, we've, we've invested too. We've contributed too. Mm-hmm. you know, we've got to create something that gives all of us equal footing and a chance to win the race. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, so here's a follow-up for you. Um, let, let's say in 15, 20 years in the future, do you think because of all of this, uh, more inclusivity among college football conferences, the TV media deal payout disparity that currently exists between power five and G five conferences is lessened or 
non-existent? I, I got to think it's still going to exist in some way. Or do conferences as a whole have some kind of big change where it's more of a, an amalgamation of teams rather than all these siloed conferences or something like that? What do you, what do you think it looks like in, in 15, 20 years? It's, it's, you two guys are pretty astute, I got to tell you, is that... <laughs> Really, I mean that's that's the threshold question. So, uh, you know, it can go it can go a couple a couple ways for sure. I, I would tell you this: there is a lot of talk now about, and and it's not so much football driven as it is governance driven, and and the kind of the demise and influence of the NCAA is at an all time low. It's probably going to have to be rebooted. In either whether it's a different name, certainly a different structure, uh, because it's it's completely powerless at this point. And yeah, yeah, uh, and don't even and, have a they don't even have a president right now, right? Yeah. Isn't Emmert out? He's out. And because of that, there is a lot of talk right now about forming a governance body just for college football. Yeah. So I think just like what we just fought for 24 years, the key will be we've already uh, kind of solved the puzzle on postseason. So now you look at governance, that's the next significant issue, right? So I'm very hopeful because of how we uh, arrived at this, at this new scenario for postseason that we'll take the same approach for governance. That doesn't mean every, you know, every school's like an NFL or NBA going to be, equally distributed and there's still going to be the the differences and nuances and so forth i mean there's there's 10 schools with hundred thousand these stadiums that'll always be different yeah there's always going to be some inequities but in terms of rule making operations how many coaches how many scholarships all those things there i i would say the next big move will really revolve around uh, a decision to move football out of the overall kind of sports uh, waterfront and saying, okay, let's, let's homogenize them and manage everything together. I, I think that one will, will definitely be pulled out. That's my belief. And then within that, if we take the same inclusive approach, uh, at least it means in the, uh, that, that there's consistency in the way we operate. At the end of the day, it's like any other industry, right? There's going to be more profitable, more successful versus less doesn't, the lesser profitable uh, programs still can have great successes and win championships. They can. Uh, so, uh, but all those are better days than what we've experienced the last 24 years. Yeah, totally agree. That was, that was good stuff. That was, that was a, an awesome discussion. I haven't gone that deep into the 12 team uh, playoff stuff yet. So appreciate you spending some time on that. It was awesome. You guys to be at the forefront of this is the, you're, you're talking to a 33 year old old timer, <laughs> but from your alma mater. So you gotta, you gotta be gracious to him, but I mean, it, it's, it's the really most underreported under recognized fact of what just happened and the repercussions, the implications are huge because people, it's not even about a number. It's about the branding and status and the, that's that's what inhibited every non what you what I refer to as not something programs. What, yeah. what, is it wasn't of any of our doing? It was because we had been labeled and stigmatized 
And that's what you had to overcome each and every day, whether it was in recruiting. I mean, over the years, I even had a golf coach come up to me and said, well, this, I got called from a power five school. And I, I looked at him and said, that's about football. It's got nothing yeah. to do with golf. But right. you know, I've had officials tell me they were power five officials. No, no, not. You're not. You're just a damn lousy official. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it sounds reminiscent of maybe a week ago or something. I'm not sure. You know, I can't say things on the air. I know. I know. That's true. No, that's true, man. No, I, I, I totally agree. I think that's, that's good stuff. And I think it does. I mean, it, it, I think it has been a little bit underreported, maybe yeah. more than a little bit. I've seen a few stories about it on like the athletic who they usually do some pretty good stuff. And, uh, but outside of them, not that much. Right. So yeah, we'll try to, we'll try to get it, get it out there. Our, uh, our powerful brand of the Hurricast. I think you're the two that take it to the top. Yeah. Nice. Uh, cool. Matt, anything uh, on the 12 team playoff? We got some listener questions I want to hit before we, before we go here, but anything else on the playoff you wanted to ask? No, I, I just, I think that's the kind of the, that last point that you made is what I've been, at least every conversation I ever have with people is I'm like, they just need to remove football because things like conferences, specifically designed for football make no sense for a lot of other sports. Um, like I just think of UCLA and USC having to have like their, like all their sports teams that don't play 12 games once a week, traveling all the way across the country for those like that stuff like that. Just that's not good for really anybody. Let's go play. So, right. Yeah. So I've always been a, not always, I'll say like with the way things have been going, it just makes more sense to kind of split up football, um, you know, and don't treat it the same as all the other sports. I agree. I agree guys. All right. Awesome. Let's, let's wrap it up here. We've got a few, we've got three listener questions for you. Uh, and I figured we could, uh, hit those pretty quick here. And then I'll let you go. I know it's almost 10 o'clock uh, central time. So appreciate you staying up late with us here, but um, yeah, let's do this. So there's, there's one that we get. Uh, I can't, I think we might've asked you something about this back in the spring. I can't remember what the answer was. So uh, I thought it was a good one to start off with here. And that is from, uh, they're all from Twitter. So this is from at Janny SWFC. And the question is, uh, is there any remote possibility of an indoor practice facility? I'm sure you, I'm sure you get the IPF question all the time, but uh, for our listeners who, and I don't remember the answer either. So it's a, it's a good one for me to hear again. Is there any possibility of an indoor practice facility for football in the future? Well, there's always the possibility and that, that <laughs> is, is tied to uh, financial support for it. And uh, just really, I think, because first I would say to everybody, yeah, I would love that you, even in my time, which certainly won't be forever uh, here, you know, be the catalyst to help make that happen. I've, I've made the case as to why it should. And I think there's support for that, you know, within the board, certainly from Brad and others, but yet we all recognize we've, you know, we, we have a uh, significant amount of work to do uh, even in, in addition to that, that would be to me kind of a uh, coup de grace that, that we've really arrived and so many other kind of open slots in our deck have been filled that, that are more pressing, more needed. Like here, here's an example I would give. 
I, I was thrilled to death at our welcome back student athlete uh, barbecue, which was the Sunday before school started uh, in August, uh, to announce to the student athletes the two things that I knew just from being here, you know, uh, at the time about 20 months, uh, that were most glaring and needed for our 429 student athletes was we had no training table. Yeah. High level FBS program yet not providing a, a nutrition based training table for athletes. It was just unthinkable to me. And so that we attacked that aggressively, raised money for it, uh, significant investment. But, but now our, our student athletes are being uh, properly uh, supported and fueled, you know, with the, at the direction of a nutritionist. And that's what we're providing. Uh, the second one was uh, the announcement of uh, our first full-time embedded just in athletics. It integrates with our campus counseling uh, center, but it's a different vibe. And you guys know this from being around athletics is, you know, there's a lot of uh, stigmas and stereotypes to overcome for athletes to open up and feel like, okay, it's a normal thing to go to counseling, seek help. Right. But somebody, your own dedicated person within athletics, there's a trust built and it's been just in less than a month. It's been a phenomenal success. I mean, my poor guy who was a former teammate is being worked to death with all the kids coming out to see him. And those two things were immediate uh, for me. I uh, felt like that that's on me. Those are services and, and things I've got to provide for these kids. And then I can tell you there's a whole, this would take three more shows to tell you there's a litany of other things similar. By the time you get to knocking off that, that need and support, uh, that means, man, have we run a great race and accomplished a lot of things. And so the answer is it'll always be on the radar because it is a needed component for us, but it's tied directly to, you know, some uh, private support that would, that would make that a priority. Uh, right now, it's just not the top priority because there's some, some needed things that, you know, that have to occur. And we're just kind of going chopping tree by tree. Yeah. I think like when I saw that press uh, release, as far as like, uh, the announcement of the position for like, you know, the mental health resources that were going to be becoming available to the athletes. Like that was one that I was super excited about just because like, I think that's so invaluable to them. And it's like to have someone dedicated that understands those, like, I can only imagine like how impactful that is for a lot of people, a lot of the athletes on campus got a, a suggestion guys for you just a, a note for another day because we got to keep this the top rated podcast in the country <laughs> uh, matt you're 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 the you're the uh, operations guy so write down the name jimmy stewart and reach out i'll let him know you'll be reaching out that'd be a great interview for you that's that person for us that mental health consultant yeah nice. i think ryan and i had a uh... All right. I had mentioned it to Ryan at some point. I was like, we should get him on at some point. So definitely appreciate the it'd be, a great, it'd be, it'd be a great show. Yeah, that's very cool. I, yeah, we did talk about that and I, I forgot that he was a teammate of yours back in the day. So that's a cool note that, yeah. Is that how, how did you originally approach him with the idea? And was he immediately just like, yeah, let's do it. Well, it was interesting because he, we've got a long history together going back from our playing days. And then when, 
when we moved, our family moved uh, from Washington State to New Orleans, we was able to reunite and reconnect with Jimmy, who had played for the Saints for a while, but then made his living there and was kind of at a stage in his career where he's looking for a different path. It was in the, in the energy industry and wanted something different and told me he was uh, maybe a year into uh, uh, pursuing a uh, uh, degree in uh, uh, family counseling and mental health counseling and uh, there at, uh, at UNO in New Orleans. And I said, well, you know, Jim, we've got some needs here at Tulane. And I started bringing him out once he uh, achieved his license and, and had him working uh, in some different areas and doing a lot of educational things, drug abuse, mental abuse, just different areas where I felt like our athletes needed some support and programming and and he was a natural. And I told him at that point, listen, there's a, there's a uh, kind of a, a, an awakening that's happening in college athletics. And uh, I'd had uh, people in those positions at Washington State and we didn't have it at Tulane, but I was using Jimmy as a, uh, you know, kind of a contracted consultant to come in. It was part of his practicum and development in, in pursuit of his license. and. I said, I'm telling you, I've worked around people. You're, you're a natural in this space in the college athletic. And because of your own history, you'll have more cred than, mo than, than most will. And uh, then along the way, uh, got involved in helping recommend him. And he had his first gig at uh, Colorado State that he just finished 10 years at. And it was a huge success for them. And, and I think an awakening for him. And, and he, uh, being of the same, uh, age and long tooth as myself was, uh, did what I did and, and announced his retirement. And, uh, of course, as soon as that happened, I said, okay, and I said, that's, you know, I don't get to be the only old guy uh, <laughs> yeah. to come on down and help me. And that's where, that's kind of how it all started. That's amazing. Yeah. Great story. It's cool that you go back so far with him and that it sounds like he's having a, uh, a huge impact on the team and the athletics department as a whole right now. So very cool. Yeah. All right. Next up is a question from at W Fertz. And that question is a good one. Uh, what goes into scheduling non-conference football games, both series like home and homes and single games or two for ones or whatever. Um, what more would more teams be willing to come play it to you if the stadium was larger? I thought that was an interesting question. Yeah, I've heard that post before. Uh, and, you know, when I was here previously, it was larger at 40,000 capacity. And uh, I don't know today that that makes much difference. I'm, I, I know while I was at Tulane, for example, I got a, a home and home with Texas. And uh, we even had, I even uh, negotiated a contract that had, uh, home and home with Oklahoma and Tulane that was supposed to be played last year, but the hurricane relocated it to, and that was going to be at, at Yeoman Stadium, which is the same capacity as Chapman Stadium. And, and so that's not so much today because of the TV element and so forth. And uh, yeah, it's really not dictated that much. There, there's some games out there. That's, you know, why you see games occasionally played at neutral sites like a Jerry world or in Atlanta, those kind of things. But right. Uh, just on an ongoing basis is I, I would tell you this, I've, I've been, I don't mean this in any uh, disparaging way to anybody, uh, but I, I think we can schedule better than what I've seen, at least since I've been here. Now, right now, games that I'm 
uh, involved in scheduling are, are literally, there may be one or two slots left in this decade. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, but I, I don't, some of the things that we I've seen just in, in my two and a half seasons uh, that have been here is that, you know, there's, there's some, there's some, uh, you know, arrangements there that I, that I wouldn't, uh, that I wouldn't have, that's not the direction I've been. Last year, for example, I know it was an eye opener to me when I actually indicated I would stay and I saw last year's schedule and I looked on there and said, holy cow, I know, I know COVID's changed things, but we're, we're playing OSU back a uh, double header back to back. Yeah. Right. Was, well, that second one's a different OSU. And then I, of course, my first reaction was, you mean Oregon State? <laughs> no, nope, the other one. And I said, no, no way. And uh, interesting speak, thinking of last week is because somebody had asked me, did I, we ever play Matlane? We actually had the most lopsided deal ever, a four for two. But interestingly, oh. four were in New Orleans and the two at Oxford because the Rebels, the old Miss fans, administration, everybody loved coming to, Sunor to New Orleans so much. They would agree to a, we'll come as <laughs> you come to us twice. So nice. I just think we, you know, if we're going to, when we play games that are, that are, you know, of a, of a greater challenge for us, you've got to offset that number one, uh, you know, with some, I mean, if you're playing up uh, against a particularly more difficult team is you got to do it strategically you have to offset it with a weaker opponent uh, to, to offset the fact that you've you've gone up and played a top 10 or a top 20. Uh, not that you should be afraid to, but you need to play it on more equitable terms, more favorable, like what I most objected to last week was not that we went to Ole Miss and played a beautiful setting, historic setting, but we wouldn't play without our officials. And we should never be engaged in those type of, of contracts and events. And I think for the most part, I don't, I don't think we should be playing one way type contracts where we're only going to, right. We're playing home and home or some, uh, imbalance two for one. Uh, but Tulsa doesn't need to do more than that. You know, we've got, as we've seen and shown, we've got a eight year series home and home starting, uh, in another year, uh, in 24 with Oklahoma state. And we can strategically do those things. I know, I've got enough young proteges out there, the AD at Kansas, the AD at Texas, the AD at TCU, you know, were, were all people that came up in the industry under me. And those kind of relationships can foster, you know, more equitable type scheduling in football. And that's really significant. I mean, look at look at Cincinnati's non-schedule last year. That's very telling. Is there were there were no two OSUs on that. Yeah. So you have to be think thoughtful and strategic about how you do that. Yeah, agreed. And you mentioned the the home and home for like the 10 year home and home or however long it is with Oklahoma state. That is, I mean, that is, that is a hell of a win, uh, for, for us. That is an amazing deal. So very excited about that. It's always fun to, you know, it's just a good game, right? I mean, they're, they're just an hour and a half away. It's easy to get there. It's easy for them to come here. There's already a lot of Oklahoma state and Tulsa fans in Tulsa. So just makes sense on that one. And we got a couple that I'm like, we were, we play Washington next year. That'll be fun just because I've never been to Seattle. Selfishly. I'm excited for that game. So I'll probably be going there. Um, well, but yeah, there, there's some other ones, but yeah, you mentioned there's only a couple left that are not already uh, booked up for the next 10 years. And, and Ryan, I'll tell you this in the, in this, this question with two, two points is number, 
Number one is last I heard, Oklahoma State was in was in search for a good in-state rival now. So hey, man, I know, I know, it's true. And then secondly, I encourage you guys to make an effort to go there because that that was one of the uh, joyful things that I got to experience in my years at Washington State was, uh, of course, that rivalry, the the Apple Cup and everything. But yeah. Gosh, I can tell you, it's the only time in your lives you'll tailgate in a sailboat. <laughs> oh my God, no way. That's amazing. How does that, how do they do that? I mean, I guess they're right on the water. That makes sense, but campus, not expect that. Campus and the stadium are located right on Lake Washington. Yeah. And literally everything from motorized yachts to little sloop sailboats. Nice. Dot the horizon and people are just puttering around in little John boats in between the sailboats tailgating, uh, eating salmon and Chardonnay, <laughs> Chardonnay before they come into the stadium. It's, it's, it's a sight to be seen. That what is a amazing. contrast from Oxford. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. It needs to be your, your road trip guys for next year. hundred percent. I'm going oh, to that yeah. game. I already, I, already have decided. I love Seattle. So I'm hundred percent down. We'll do a podcast from Husky Stadium on Lake Washington. Let's That's do it. Let's do it live, live from there. That would be awesome. <laughs> Another thing you mentioned, uh, it just sparked, hit, hit me in the head when you said it was Ole Miss agreed to go to Tulane four times versus two times in Oxford. And I had a, a person I was talking to at the Ole Miss game made the kind of offhanded comment that they got the impression, like after the game, we'd been, you know, done the tailgate, done the game, all the students had left, all that stuff. Their impression of Ole Miss was like, a hot take of, I don't think they're really a college football school. I think they are more of like a, they're like a pageantry school. You know, it's like, they, they like going and everybody's all dressed up. You know, they got people in, in straight up suits out there, like, you know, wearing the game. Um, didn't get the feeling that they were football, like the sport of football fans, but they, they liked doing the event of college football. Right. <laughs> if, if that makes sense to you. And if you're, if the argument is like, let's go to Tulane, like, let's go to new Orleans, or Oxford, if you're, if the point is let's go enjoy the event of college football, it makes sense that they would want to go to new Orleans more often than they would want to go to go to Oxford. So I don't know. It was just a comment that, that a friend made. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I had, you know, you think of all Miss and you think college football history, powerhouse, all this stuff. Um, but I, you know, walking around that campus, there are definitely people who love college football there, no doubt. But like a lot of them, I think are more there for the social event, which is, which is fine. I mean, that's fun and interesting, but uh, just something that caught our minds. Well, you pegged it. That's, that's 100% right. And, and the great contrast would be to see the direct comparison to a tailgating day at Baton Rouge. That's, yeah. that's the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, elderly women will throw a brick at you. So it's very <laughs> rapid passionate there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, man, that's cool. Very, very exciting stuff going forward. Okay. We've got one more. Um, and that is a more general question. It comes from a guy on Twitter at thunderfan 96. And they ask, uh, since you've been on campus, how much have resources available to athletics changed slash improved or have they, have they not changed and we've just made better utilization of them or, or what's it been like since you and you and Brad have joined? I think, I, and I think it's synonymous or concurrent with uh, exactly what you just pointed out uh, Ryan, it's, it's, it's the, the change, you know, is, it's, has come along with Brad and Brad's been very open and receptive. Uh, I, I know early on 
uh, when he came on board, you know, a year ago, July, when he and I first sat down and, uh, you know, asked, asked for a briefing, an update, what I considered the, the most uh, important things. Most of the things I talked about to him early on were, uh, and I can tell you the two things we talked about earlier were on that, in that conversation a year ago, telling Brad, done this all these years and here's one of the things I feel most negligent that we're, we are not doing, which is properly uh, supporting our student athletes with nutrition at the level. And I said, and because of what we've just gone through, because of the strains, demands of young people today, I desperately need, we desperately need to provide mental health resources. And so here we are a year later, that's happened. And, and that's, those, those were the nature of the, the most pressing things. But included in that was I told him I'd just gone through my first real year outside the COVID year of, uh, you know, TU sports again. And we're, we are, uh, we are empty on air. We're, we're flat. And mm -hmm. we, I, I know this place. I've been, I'm a product of this place and it's, it's capable of much more. And so kind of outlined to him, we've got to inject energy and resources into that. She said, build your plan and tell me, tell me what we need to do. And that was his approach and he's followed through on it. So uh, all the way to even being the, you know, he likes to be the, the gatekeeper and, 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 you know, the guy at the, at the top of the midway and, and welcoming everybody and, and being in that. And that's just, that's just a, a great asset. That's the, you know, and, and as we said in New Orleans, a land yap, that's a little extra when you get that, but without question, you know, that, the changes that people are seeing and experiencing are, are a result of those conversations, those requests, and his response. Nice. You guys are certainly doing an amazing job uh, so far. I know, I, I guess to finish it off, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I know you you mentioned, uh, you know, when you first took the interim role, you the idea was not to be the permanent guy. Obviously, you're, you're now the permanent guy, um, but you say it, it won't be for, for too long. Uh, I mean, everybody thinks you're doing a hell of a job. Uh, how, how long, I guess, do you, do you think you'll be, uh, do you, do you think you'll be the AD here, uh, before looking, looking to move on? Yeah. You don't have to answer if that's a, maybe you don't even know. So for all I know, I uh, just thought I'd ask in case you, you had something there. Appreciate that. And I, and I, as I said to Brad, let me, let me just do it a year at a time. And, uh, cause as you mentioned, I, what I agreed to was during that, you know, what the ask was to come, uh, during that. COVID year uh, after uh, Dr. Gregg had just left and uh, you know, the staff, they didn't feel like they had an interim person because initially I, my offer was to consult and help whoever they had appointed in an interim place, but they didn't feel like that was possible. So we made the commitment to come up for that school year and get through because we've been, as you guys know, through, through other or similar adversities. So said, okay, yeah, we can muster up nine months. And that's kind of how it started. And then Brad came, that changed things. And then listening to him and what he believed athletics needed to be, uh, the fact that it was, it was you know, uh, overseeing it, engaging with it as a president of the university was new for him too. So having someone experienced and particularly someone experienced and knows this place would be invaluable to him. That's what compelled us to stay. And I just, I know he announced a, a, a longer deal uh, at the start, which wasn't so much the, the point of our discussion <laughs> to show, you know, uh, 
stability at a time where we needed it. And so my, you know, my response has been, let me just do this a year at a time and I'll, I'll make those decisions year by year. But I, you know, being honest with people, I don't, you know, I'm 68 years old. I've done this 33 years. Yeah. Right. I've done these last, you know, I'm at uh, almost coming up on month 24. I wouldn't have done these last, 24 months and I'm, I'm certainly committed to the rest of the year. So we'll be approaching three years. I wouldn't have even discussed thought or acted on any, anywhere else by any means. I think the shelf life of most ADs is, you know, 14, 15 years. Well, I'm in beyond double that and yeah. still got great energy, great love and passion for what I do. I love for sure. interacting with our young people uh, and being, you know, kind of a catalyst on campus, especially when it's when it's home and you're on the monitor in a place that that launched a career for us. So, uh, but I'll just stick with that. I'm just going to year by year. More than happy with that. That is uh, that's all I can ask for. Uh, again, you you and you and Brad both doing an amazing job, and definitely appreciate you uh, steadying the ship uh, at a at a weird time uh, in TU's history for sure. So, absolutely appreciate it. But again, Brad, we'll let you go here. Thanks again. Uh, spending over an hour with us uh, late at night on a, on a Tuesday night. You just got off a, a busy dinner. So appreciate all the time uh, as usual. And man, it was, it was awesome talking to you. Always enjoyable guys. And, and I don't, I don't know, but I'm uh, we're two for two on Matt dominating the airtime talking the most. <laughs> yeah. <About that. laughs> I'm just, I'm, this is not an interview for me. This is uh this is your time to shine. So I'm just here to, to bounce some uh, some questions. Well, I don't know if I even asked a question this time, but well, let me let me just say this to both of you, really honestly. And I didn't didn't know just because as you guys have gotten to know me, that's you guys are in a space that I don't spend a lot of time. Uh, you know, uh, just the nature of me, myself, but also the job that I'm in. And and uh, but I I do know this uh, just from meeting both of you now, engaging with you, but also seeing the impact you guys have. You're, you know, you guys are, are a, a, a nice element and a nice thread of what makes this place special, what keeps people together, united and, and ties together common interests. And that's, that's an important thing. So I appreciate the role you guys are playing in it because I know you do it of your, you know, of your own free will and time and effort and probably resources too. So yep. uh, <laughs> I just you know it, it the, uh, the things go both ways. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's funny at all Miss, I was talking to somebody kind of about just doing the operations of doing the podcast and, and whatnot. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm basically doing this either way. Like whether we had a microphone, like put up to my mouth and Matt's mouth or whatever, me and Matt talk to you sports all the time anyway. So it's just like throw a microphone in front of it and do a little bit of editing and, and put it out there. And uh, it's good stuff. We've met a lot of, like we met you through this. We met Brad. We met a ton of really awesome people throughout like the American conference that we never would have ever met before had we not done this. So it's definitely been rewarding and, uh, and talking to people like you is just uh, the cherry on top. So really appreciate it. It's fun to see you guys enjoying yourself, but also know, and I'll just repeat it one more time, but you're having an impact and that's that at the end of the day, that's how we all get measured. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. I appreciate you saying that. Hey guys. Have a All good right. One. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Rick. Um, yeah, we'll talk to you later. Maybe I'll see you uh, on campus on Saturday. I'm looking forward to being there. I'll be looking for you both. All right. Bye. Take care. Good night, guys. Night.
Okay, thanks again to Rick for coming on the show, especially for the very kind words uh, he said to us at the at the end. That was super nice. Really appreciate it. Um, man, what a guy. That guy, like, eh, every time I talk to him, I just leave happier. You know, it's just like, ah, I just feel great. We've been going, we've been doing, we started the podcast tonight. Um, the first interview was at uh, seven. seven o'clock central time, right? It is yeah. now 1115 central time. So damn, we've been going for a while. I, I'm not even tired. I don't know if it's because I mentioned to Matt that oh, I'm. Oh man, I don't know how you're not tired. Well, I, I had a latte earlier, uh, so that that's part of it. But also, I'm like I'm at a standing desk, and I usually sit during the when we do the podcast. But I'm like I'm gonna stand today because I know we're gonna be up. Like we're gonna we're gonna be doing stuff all day all night long. So maybe standing will like, keep me up, and it's totally working. I mean, I'm sure Rick, like being the man, is also the biggest reason for that. And also our conversation with Brandon was, was fantastic as usual with him uh, for the go beer cats thing. So no, no complaints for me. I mean, I got to edit the thing now, so that's going to suck. But uh, <laughs> the, the practice of doing this uh, for the night has, has been not that I want to make it this long every night uh, or every week, but uh, it's been uh, more tolerable than I would assume a four hour stretch of uh, doing the podcast would have been. Uh, but yeah. Okay. So b- moving on here. Um, I guess, Matt, did you have anything you wanted to add about, about, uh, talking with Rick or anything like that before we go to just a quick thing around the, around the conference? Uh, no, I didn't have anything else. Cool. I did want to make a quick note, something I forgot to mention during the recap. Uh, when I was talking about like the, there are no moral victories, but I felt like this was a moral victory. The SP plus poll and the athletic 131 agree with the people who agree, who say that there are no moral victories because Tulsa did not move very much in either of those polls, uh, despite almost beating the number 16 and number 13 team on the road. Uh, we are now number 74 in SP plus, which is up. I mean, that is, that is a client. We are going, we started the season at in the nineties, uh, with SP plus. So definitely getting there, uh, slowly, but surely making our way. And then, but the, the one that, that really got me, uh, the athletic, um, they do like, they rank every, every team in the country, just like SP plus does. And it's, I don't know if it's only Chris Vanini that puts this out for the athletic by himself, or if he is named the publisher of that post, but a bunch of other people also work on it or whatever. I don't know. I'm sure that it's just some computer metric system they have. Uh, but we are number 95, <laughs> number 95 in the athletic 131. And that was the exact same as we were last week when we, zero movement. Zero after after a game playing with your backup quarterback on the road against Ole Miss and almost you know having many chances to win that game. I don't know, man. That one number ninety five. There are so many worse teams above us that should not be there. I put one of them on Twitter. Matt told me not to say it on 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 uh, on the podcast because uh, people don't you know we got some listeners who are fans of this team, so I'm like I'm not going to mention them. But there are they're not the only one. There are other teams that suck straight up our bad that we are way better than there's no way in god's name we should be number 95 out of 131 teams after these first four games i understand they were close games against wyoming and northern illinois and then jacksonville state's an fcs team but you if 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 anybody had watched a tulsa game those first four games no one's ranking you number 95 they must have straight up not watched any of the games yeah they were close clearly we're we're better team anyway just frustrating that, that we're down that low still, but it doesn't matter early in the year. It's, it's how you finish, right? So we'll see how it ends. Okay. Moving on to, uh, around the American, not gonna, not gonna spend a ton of time on this. Cause I know we're, we're going long here. So, um, it was week four. They were all Saturday games. Once again, there were some very entertaining games. I, again, I was at all Miss, so I didn't actually get to watch any of these on TV, 
However, some good ones. Spiciest one of the week. The Battle Battle of the Iron Skillet. The Iron Skillet game. TCU-SMU. Always an exciting one. Definitely one I would have watched on TV had I been able to. Um, SMU lost it, which, cool. That's cool with me. It was a very dramatic storyline because, you know, it's the whole uh, Sonny Dykes left last year and joined TCU, and now he is playing. And this game was at SMU. So Dykes had to go back to his previous home stadium to play the Ponies. Uh, from from his Big 12 perch now uh, with the Horned Frogs of TCU. And TCU got the win uh, at at on the road at SMU. 42-34 uh, to 34 is hot start for TCU. 14-0 lead to start it off. 28-7 to 7 early in that game for TCU. Uh, SMU battled way back. Um, not quite enough. Mordecai threw another two interceptions that game. Uh, big numbers aside from the two interceptions, 372 yards and two touchdowns. Um, but TCU made almost no mistakes, no turnovers, uh, 22 for 29 from Max Duggan, their quarterback, for three touchdowns, 278 yards. And here's the here's the weird stat from this game. TCU, 11 different players had a catch. 11 guys. Like, I'm sure, I, you know, some of them are running backs or whatever, but 11 guys? I've never, that is the most I've ever noticed when looking at a box score. So, I mean, hats off to them. Or, like, maybe SMU's got some serious problems on defense, which I know is kind of the case. They, they do not have a good defense. Um, but 11 guys, man, that's quite a bit. Uh, next up was just an absolute clunker coming off their almost road victory in the swamp against Florida. All the momentum in the world feeling good after that game. South Florida lost 41 to three to Louisville on the road, on the road to Louisville. Oh my, that is a, just a hard oof on that one. How big was the final score though on Twitter? What do you mean? Like the graphic that showed the final. Oh, <laughs> did you actually see the score? <laughs> no. Uh, was, are you, was that what Florida did last? Did they not put the uh, f- score on there? UCF. Yeah. Oh, UCF. when UCF lost to Louisville, that, mm-hmm. that was that game. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So Matt's referencing UCF when they lost. UCF also lost to Louisville like two, two weeks ago. And they should UCF was favored by quite a bit in that game. They should have won. They were the better team. They, they lost as they usually do to Louisville for some reason. And the, the graphic was like, you know, a cool UCF photo um with UCF in big letters and then they had the score in like the bottom right quarter in like in like four font it was like you could not read it so funny uh no I did not see if USF did something similar in this one um I mean wouldn't be surprised 41 to 3 to a a decent ACC team I mean I don't know man pretty rough I I definitely thought and so did most other people maybe maybe South Florida was turning a corner here you almost beat Florida on the road I understand Florida is bad but there is talent on that team is talent like that their quarterback anthony richardson despite not looking great recently he's a five-star recruit he's he's a talented guy there's talent all over that roster usf has very little talent on the roster right so if they're able to play with them on the road you would think some momentum maybe would carry over but no all hopes dashed once again their offense looked pathetic their defense looked very bad as usual um so yeah back to back to square one <laughs> after almost doing something uh they're back they're back to the basics so uh godspeed to usf it's a tough stretch over there uh speaking of tough stretches temple but they got another win hey look at them 28 nothing over umass at home umass very bad temple also very bad so that's fine hey if you beat an equally matched team 28 nothing props to you so I, i'm proud of you guys temple owl uh, the thing that sucks is we have the same record as Temple, and that hurts me to say out loud. We're both two and two, um, but I guarantee you we will beat Temple by like over twenty points. They are not a good team. UMass is horrendous. Uh, you just can't like. It's funny. 
you think of like the 131 teams, Temple is down there. They're like 120. UMass is probably like 129. The thing is, those 120 to 129, they look close together in the rankings list, but they are straight up not, right? UMass is horrible. Florida Atlantic, horrible. Hawaii, horrible. Temple, very bad, but definitely not like horrendously terrible, especially ever since they switched quarterbacks. So uh, keep an eye out for them. I mean, I don't think they're going to win more than one game maybe in the American, but they might scare some people. Uh, their new quarterback is mediocre, uh, 11 of 22, two touchdowns, two interceptions, but uh, still beat them by 28. So I don't know if their defense really stepped up to the plate here or what, but uh, that's what happened with Temple. Moving on, Cincy. Uh, we talked about them with the guy plenty, so not going to speak about this game much, but they beat an undefeated Indiana team at home, 45-24, to 24, home being uh, in Cincinnati. And the only interesting thing for me, uh, speaking of Mizzou, their former starting quarterback, Connor Bazelak is Indiana's starting quarterback now. So that's kind of interesting. Um, however, he's still not very good. He wasn't very good at Mizzou, not very good at Indiana either. So there you go. He threw two interceptions in this one. Um, Indiana though, I mean, I understand why you might want to transfer from Mizzou to Indiana because Indiana, if you're a quarterback, Indiana passed it 66 times, 66 passes in this game. That is freaking wild. Uh, Bazelak went 31 of 66. Uh, so the stats, not that great, but the yardage, Quite a, quite a bit because you're throwing it, you're completing 31 passes. Um, ben Bryant, we talked about with the Cincy guy um, passing way more heavily than running. Ben Bryant passed it 40 times. So lots of passing in this game. And Tyler Scott went off. Uh, we talked about as well. 10 catches, 185 yards, three touchdowns. Cincinnati gets the easy win at home. Memphis beat future AAC member North Texas, who is very bad also this year, um, but only beat him by 10. So Memphis also mediocre to bad this season, in my opinion. Uh, nothing really notable here, uh, except Memphis. They, they've got a running back, it seems, once again, after searching for one for the last couple of years. Their running back, Brandon Thomas, played really well. Had 15 carries, 84 yards and 15 carries, two touchdowns. So they've been looking for a consistent face and name at running back uh, since, like, Antonio Gibson two or three years ago. Really haven't had one. That's been a big struggle. Like, they have always depended on a strong running game. Maybe Brandon Thomas is the guy. He's a young guy, sophomore, getting his first real playing time this year. So... Uh, keep an eye out for Brandon Thomas. Moving on, UCF beat Georgia Tech 27 to 10. And LOL, that was uh, Jeff Collins' last game. He's gone. He got fired after this game. He should have been fired after the 42 to nothing loss for and against Ole Miss. Uh, but no, he stuck around for another week somehow. And UCF gets to send uh, former conference mate uh, Jeff Collins, who used to be the head coach at Temple, out. He is gone. Georgia Tech also fired their athletic director after this game. So both the AD and the coach, gone at the hands of the Knights. Um, UCF still not very good. I don't, I mean, they're okay. They're, they'll be in like the top half of the conference, but I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to be in the conference championship game. So relative to their standards, don't think they're very good. Their quarterback still not very good. Um, he was like eight of 16 for 49 yards and an interception. Not a great stat line for him. They run the ball very well. So that's the thing. Uh, and we've Amazing talked- that your quarterback can be that atrocious and you still <laughs> win the game. Well, yeah, you're playing Georgia Tech, who is very bad, but he can run like he can. That's his that's his thing. People were just hoping that he would also be able to pass a little bit better than he's been able to so far this year. That's the you know, that's the kicker. Yeah, but he ran, though, 16 carries, 100 yards and a touchdown. So he's getting it done on the ground. They've got some a couple of solid running backs. Uh, the Knights do their defense. Eh, but we'll see. Um, here's the one that, I mean, is the funniest for me, but is the kind of the biggest gut punch. Um, the first conference game happened this week, like interconference game that was East Carolina Navy. And I would have bet 10,000 times out of 10,000 that East Carolina wins this game. Navy is not a good team. They're not good. 
They lost to Delaware to open the season. They got beat pretty bad their next couple games. Navy got their first win. First win of the season for, for Navy comes against East Carolina. Um, I think it was at ECU. As It was. It was at East Carolina. So Navy gets the road win to open conference play over a team that, honestly, I think a lot of people would say has a good had a good shot to make the conference championship game. Not that they still don't. They still could. Um, but, man, you start conference play with the loss to Navy, that's one of the ones you were counting on getting. So it sucks for the Pirates, but, man, that's amazing. Uh, also not sure um, ECU's, like, star running back, Keaton Mitchell, one of their two really good running backs along with uh, Rajay Harris. Keaton Mitchell, I don't know if he was hurt or something. He only had five carries for five yards. So I assume something happened there because um, he's usually the lead guy for them. Navy quarterback Ty Lavatai went seven for 10 for 152 yards and a touchdown. Uh, their lead running back in this one, Anton Hall Jr., had 22 carries for 57 yards and a touchdown. They had like a 60-yard 60, 60 pass completion in this game, Navy did. So they were pulling on everything, uh, and they got him, double overtime. Navy's field goal kicker um, won the game in double overtime, hit a 36-yarder in double overtime to win it. ECU missed the, missed the one that would have sent it to a third overtime. So that's how that ended. But the thing about their kicker, Daniel Davies, had not attempted a field goal yet this year, made three for three. The first, first three college kicks, three for three, to win this game against Navy. So there you go. You got to get something going on, on the road and against a conference mate, and you do it. Good stuff, Navy. That's awesome. Uh, another just funny one. Houston beat Rice 34-27, to and Houston won the game, right? But nobody, again, for like the third week in a row, no one was happy about this win for good reason. Rice is a not, not that great team either. And like Rice was winning at halftime. It was tied in the fourth quarter. And then you've got, I don't know if you saw this, Matt, but like Dana Holgerson in a post-game press conference there, you know, he's always just, uh, just kind of the worst, but he was like, he, they lead the country in penalties. I don't know if you knew that. They're like the us from like three years ago. And he was just putting it all on the, on the players, right? Which you cannot, you just can't do it. You can't do it as a head coach. You've got to take responsibility. It is on you. Like the players do what they are taught and how they are trained and if penalties are a problem, the the players know how to play football, right? It's it's the scheme that you've put them in, or it's how you're teaching them to execute. That's that's the issue here. And Holgerson goes out and is like, "I ain't taking responsibility for that." At some point, they've got to quit doing that. I'm like, what are you talking? What do you mean? I couldn't believe you said that out loud. He apologized for it uh, the next day, of course. I'm sure he was pressured too. But uh, man, Houston. Once again, still the the most disappointing team in this league, I think by far. They were like, you know tied with Cincinnati or the favorite to win the conference this year. And that is highly questionable at this point. Rice had, Rice had the ball with 24 seconds left and 24 seconds got the ball on like their end of the field. 24 seconds. They go all the way down with a chance. Like they were at the nine yard line with one play to go. So they went the full length of the field in 24 seconds and just couldn't complete the pass in the end zone to win it. Um, and that's how, that's how Houston won. Just a uh, freaking train wreck so far. Uh, final game, Tulane playing Southern Miss. They have a name for this rivalry. I forgot what it's called, uh, which makes me sad because that is a, that's a like a long time rivalry. Uh, but Tulane coming off the big win over Kansas state who then goes on the road to Norman and beats Oklahoma. So Tulane just beat the team that beat OU the next week and they lose to Southern Miss at home. Kidding me. Green wave guys. Come on. I'm trying to try to like you guys. Couldn't do it. Um, they lose for the third time in four years to Southern Miss. Michael Pratt threw a pick six, big rivalry game gone. Former offensive coordinator, Will Hall is Southern Miss's head coach. So he gets the win over his form- former team. And that is the first FBS win of the season for Southern Miss. So 
tough one for Tulane, especially coming off that Kansas State loss or win. Uh, it is the battle for the bell. Battle for the bell. That makes sense. I saw that bell. I saw that bell on Twitter. It's got the logo on each side. Kind of cool. All right. Uh, cool. That's it for Around the American. Fun week in the conference. Uh, got a real, like, true conference play starts this week. So big time stuff. Time for TU to take charge. And I'm telling you, man, if we can get the get the early win over Cincinnati, stake the claim early that, that we're the real deal, get a conference win in week one of conference play in the driver's seat. I'm telling you there, like there is no clear aside from Cincy, I think is, is kind of the clear favorite right now. If we can knock them off week one, all of a sudden it's wide, wide, wide open. It's already pretty open in the American, but man, that would be, that's, that's big time. So to talk Cincy, uh, let's bring in Brandon. We got him from, uh, the go beer cats podcast and blog. Uh, we talked to him last year and I think, yeah, two years ago as well. So third time repeating guest, I believe, uh, Brandon is, and he's going to break down the Bearcats for us and uh, talk to us all about what's going on with, man, so much turnover from last season and uh, what, what expectations were like after a historic season for the Bearcats. So let's move it over to him and we'll catch you on the flip side. All right, we are here with Brandon from Go Bearcats. Go Bearcats is a Cincinnati blog and podcast about something you might be able to ascertain from the title there. It's about the Cincinnati Bearcats and also the Cincinnati craft beer scene. Uh, we had Brandon on last year, but it's been a minute. It's been since November, I think, since we last spoke, Brandon. So uh, excited to get into it again. How have you been? Uh, I've been busy, but I've been excited uh, because it is football season and it has been pretty exciting so far. Nonetheless, whether you're a Tulsa fan or a Cincinnati fan, college football has delivered so far. So I'm just counting down the days till Saturday. Absolutely, man. And you guys are off to a pretty good start. Three and one so far. Tough loss to Arkansas early. But before we, you know, talk about this season stuff, got to touch. I know we discussed it a little bit before we started recording here, but got to get your insight on like the whole playoff atmosphere last year. What was it like being part of that? I know you mentioned you didn't get to go to the game, but what was it like just being around that whole uh, ecosystem of, of the playoff and all the uh, everything that comes with it? Yeah, I, I, I gambled and opted not to go to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, I had a ton of friends that did. Uh, I, I gambled, like I said, I reserved tickets for the national championship game had we won because it's just in Indianapolis, like two hours away. Uh, so I had three tickets for the championship game had we pulled off the David of the David Goliath scenario. Uh, but we we had a watch party uh, at a, a bar. I don't even remember the name of the bar. And I've, I've never been. I'll probably never go back because you know, sour taste in my mouth. <laughs> had a great time. Uh, got, I mean, had plenty of beers, plenty of drinks. Uh, watching it with, you know, a, a group of like 20 close friends was great. Uh, I, I think half of us, not myself, uh, you know, a week later came down with COVID. It was funny how that worked out. Um, but, you know, but t- turning on the television and seeing being in the spotlight was was great. Uh, very fun uh, to actually turn on ESPN and actually want to watch it uh, because they're talking about your team w- w- was awesome. And then, you know, that carrying on through to the uh, NFL draft where we had nine guys drafted was uh sort of like put a cap on yeah. a very uh, stellar season for us. That ha- that was a program record, I'm sure, right? Having nine oh, people sure. drafted there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And yeah, so I, I know you do like, uh, or I think you do like a beer of the week for each episode. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. Did you have one like pre-planned? Did you know, did you have like a go-to that you were going to do for the Alabama like preview or during the game or anything like that that you were looking forward to? 
I don't remember my my beer of the game or beer of the podcast for the Cotton Bowl. I I did something kind of unique with the Peach Bowl when we played Georgia the season before. Yeah, and I I went to we have a, a really good beer store here in Cincinnati, numerous of them, but the one I like is called Root Cellar because uh, they're all, you can buy they have like thousands of beers just individual cans you can buy as many or as little as you want and awesome. I bought I think I bought two six packs of nothing but peach beers some yeah. sort of so, oh yeah and, perfect yeah so every you know quarter or every like timeout or media timeout or something it was a new peach beer of the game uh, I didn't since I went out for the game I did not do anything themed and with it being I could uh, I don't know maybe went with a Dallas theme or something uh, cotton bowl not a whole lot of options going for me there yeah right that's cool um I don't know if you saw this probably not already but the uh the Tulsa game this week against you guys is like Oktoberfest theme. And so beer is going to be on the menu for sure. They're giving everybody, or they're giving like the first 2,500 fans uh, free, like TU Oktoberfest Stein and looks pretty. They got a bunch of other carnival games and stuff like that going on. So they get nice. a kick out of that. Yeah. Very <laughs> nice. Oh yeah. So, you know, other than outside of Munich, Cincinnati has the second largest Oktoberfest in the world. Ooh. Uh, it is uh, quite the spectacle. A lot draws a, a lot of people. I did not get to go this year, but uh, yeah, that's for some Cincinnati fans. We'll talk about it later. Traveling to uh, to the game, I'm sure they'll be excited to hear about that. Yeah, man, it's a good it's a good one. Like TU itself, like the university usually doesn't do a big thing for Oktoberfest. This is the first time in my memory, at least, that they've done something like this. But Tulsa, the city also does an extremely good job uh, with their actual Oktoberfest theme. That is not the same week as, as TU's. That's like uh, three weeks later. It's actually on like the 26th that weekend um, of October. But uh, yeah, they, that's, it's fun, man. It's always, it's always cool going out to that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Throw in football, can't be beat. For sure, for sure. All right, let's get on to some stuff here. Uh, this is the first time Cincinnati has played in Tulsa since 2016. Before that, Bearcats hadn't been to Tulsa since 1980, which surprised me when I saw wow. that number a long time ago. Um, but anyway, 2016 game, Tulsa pulled out the win, 40 to 37, very close game. But Cincinnati's had the next three, uh, the difference in those average of seven points. So pretty close throughout. I got to start with a question that was somebody asked us like three weeks ago when they realized we were playing you guys at home this year. Uh, got to bring it up. So 2020 season, that was the last time. Uh, there was some drama around that year, you know, yeah, Tulsa I mean, was ranked that. I think we yeah. did a, a show b- uh, before that. Oh, yeah. Game. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. For All sure. Right. For sure. Lots of, lots of drama around it. T- uh, the original meeting was supposed to be TU was ranked and Cincinnati was ranked, which here's a fun fact for you. Pretty sure. And maybe I'm getting this wrong, but pretty sure that was the first time it would have been the first time at least had it happened that, uh, two ranked teams would have played in Tulsa's stadium. I don't think that's ever happened before. Forgive me if I'm uh, misspeaking there, listeners, but pretty sure that's actually what it was. Uh, but that game got canceled two times, uh, two times that season. Um, and both were apparently due to COVID reasons on the Bearcats side. However, this is where the drama comes in. A bunch of Cincinnati fans. I do not think you were one of them, Brandon. Maybe you were. I don't know. You Give me your, give me your thoughts on this afterwards. But a bunch of Cincinnati fans were telling us that the second time it was canceled was actually Tulsa canceling it themselves. Uh, although like all legitimate, legitimate media people were saying it was, it was a COVID thing on the Bearcats side. So I don't know if you remember all the way back to 2020, but do you remember that happening? And do you have any thoughts on that? That whole weird scenario that went down that year? I I don't, I don't remember that. Um, I, I remember talking to you guys and discussing the best case scenario for UC 
and I thought it would be to play the play Tulsa twice, uh, and then obviously hopefully win, so yeah. we would have another ranked win for us heading in because there were still hopes of maybe a a playoff berth that year when we ended up going to the Peach Bowl. Uh, I do remember some people talking on Twitter. Um, you know, there's some interesting accounts throughout Bearcat Nation. I, I kind of do remember that, but I, the specifics I've had, uh, no, uh, I, don't, I couldn't, I don't, I couldn't speak to that here yeah. uh, in 2022. No, but I, I do sort of remember the, the back and forth and uh, well, this, uh, this person said this and this person said this, and I, I kind of remember that, but I don't remember the specifics. Yeah, honestly, that's about where I'm at, too. I was like, we got this question. I was like, I don't remember what happened two years ago. What the hell? I mean, I remember the general topic. I remember there being the drama uh, from Cincinnati people about, no, it was actually Tulsa that did this. I mean, I got this like inside scoop that tells me and uh, it didn't make any sense to me at the time. Yeah. So the, just wanted the, to run it past you in case you remembered it. The inside scoop was his uncle who was a used car salesman. In Kentucky, <laughs> yeah. So who, who knows? Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, definitely excited to get the Bearcats at home. Uh, that 2016 game, that was a fun one. I remember we, Tommy, we still had Dane Evans. What? Yeah, go ahead. Was that Tommy Tuberville's last oh, game yeah. as coach? Uh, last game? At I don't Cincinnati. remember. If it was, we owe you guys a huge favor. Um, <laughs> I don't, yeah, that I've completely blacked out of my mind. Uh, but I hope it was because that would be deserving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think that was definitely his last year, but his last game, I don't remember. Uh, I do remember you guys had a guy named Hayden, Hayden something, a quarterback. Hayden Moore. Hayden Moore. Yep. Moore that's right. Looks yeah, like yeah, it was yeah. his last game. Uh, oh, yeah. got him. You beat me to it here. It was. Uh, 40 37 overtime uh yeah. that we that year we ended that season with one two three four five straight losses <laughs> beating only east carolina miami ohio who will never lose to again yeah. uh purdue and ut martin what a season that was very nice did I, did I see that the uh the miami of ohio streak is like 17 games you guys have over them now or something is that right i think it's 16 16. I don't know. I know it's, it's, you know, we've played the, played that series since the beginning of time. Uh, It's we've, we just now finally this year hold the advantage overall though. Oh, wow. It took us 16 or seven. I don't, whatever it is straight to finally hold a 60, 59 advantage. So yeah, I'll take it, man. That is, that is pretty intense. That's cool. I didn't know it was, uh, it was just broken this year. Very nice. Cool. All right. Uh, on to some actual game stuff here. Uh, obviously, I'm sure you could ask this all the time. But Cincinnati replaced a ton uh, this season on both time, both sides of the ball. But got to got to get into it. Got to ask you about it. Um, it's going pretty well so far. Three and one. Three pretty dominant wins, and then the one loss is over a a solid, like arguably very good Arkansas team on the road. Offense looks pretty electric. The defense looks like hasn't taken that much of a step back despite losing like the entire side of that ball. Uh, how does this match up versus what you thought would happen? Uh, you know, you're three and one right now. Did you think you would be three and one? And how are you feeling about the rest of the year? Uh, I would have definitely said I, we would have at this point, we would have been at least three and one. And I, I thought that if we could have beat Arkansas, if we, I said, if we went one and oh, we could have went 12 and oh, or, <laughs> or whatever it is. Uh, we, we had that possibility. Uh, and we didn't get the job done, you know, credit Arkansas there. They are, 
an SEC team and a, a pretty good one at that, even though I think they did lose this past weekend. Man, uh, did you see any of that game, though? Arkansas a and Oh, my gosh. They should not have lost. They they really were the better team in that game. They absolutely yeah. deserve to win it, win it. Ridiculous. We don't have to get into the details there, but oh my, I was watching it. It was it was horrible. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Um, but uh, but other than that, I mean, the big question and the the question that you bring on another Cincinnati fan uh, on the podcast, and we can have a heated debate. It was it was the quarterback, you know. Yeah. Obviously, you know that's where the spotlight is, and it everyone was pulling for um, Evan Prater. Evan Prater's a local kid from yeah. Wyoming High School here, uh, just maybe like. 15 minutes from Clifton. He at the time was the highest recruit offensive recruit UC had ever gotten. Um, And he, I mean, you know, he sat behind Des for two years. This is supposed to be his coming out party. And Ben Bryant has started all four games and turns out he can really slang the ball. Uh, So we're uh, as a, as a fan fandom, we are continuously on that quarterback debate. Uh, And we can get into that a little bit more because some people are just, hard-headed <laughs> yeah let's do it let's get into the quarterback stuff yeah so ben bryant he was the guy um started with cincinnati right was there for like three years i think 2018 to 2020 uh he obviously he left last season played for eastern michigan was the starter all year there put up some good numbers i was looking at that earlier today um and then desmond ritter obviously goes to the nfl ben bryant transfers back wins the job so and you mentioned evan prater right? he's a little bit younger is he a sophomore right now this is his third year on campus on the team. Okay. Um, in terms of redshirting, I, I don't I don't I don't think he redshirted his his freshman year. But okay. with with you know the COVID year and everything, I don't you know numbers and and years are just made up at this point. So man, it's so um, true. Yeah, I don't I don't where his standing is. I don't, I have no idea. But he's <laughs> this was been his third year with a football team. Okay, um, and you know I was team Prater. You know. Yeah, I was going to ask who you thought was going to win it. I, I was all about Team Prater. I thought he was the closest thing to Dez because uh, uh, he can take off and sprint down the field and gain 25 yards before you know that he's you know taken off. And uh, being a local kid, you know, you always love that the hometown hero is what the you know UC calls it. And then you pair him with Corey Kiner, who went to Roger Bacon High School here in Cincinnati. Op- he was down to. LSU and UC he went to LSU for his freshman year and then now transferred back and he was like he was also Mr. Ohio is and it would just been like a great local one-two punch in the backfield for the Bearcats so I was all about it uh and then Ben Bryant won the job after summer camp or fall camp whatever you want to call it coming back from that all the whispers was Bryant is QB1 and then everyone every uc fan lost their mind and had a meltdown because they all like me wanted ben bryant and after the arkansas game they had some legit concerns uh because ben bryant has an arm uh you know we probably haven't had a passer like ben bryant since gunner keel uh which i think played in that 2016 game that we talked about as well because he could just flat out just make the make the play with his arm ben bryant I'm not saying he's a good a passer, like arm strength is gunner kill, but he can he can get make the play and get the job done. Uh, he comes out. Oh, he over every. We would have probably beat Arkansas by 14 or or more if they could. If he would have just hit wide open receivers, really, what, tw- like tw- two more times. Like mm-hmm. our we we'll talk about this here. Our we have two of the fastest receivers that I've seen in a very long time. Uh, they're four for four. They've They've dusted every 
secondary that we've come up against, Arkansas, Indiana included. Yeah. And Ben Bryant, instead of throwing it 50 yards, threw it 60 or, you know, whatever it was. He just, oh, he just, not even close. I don't know if it was, you know, first game nerves, but he just Mm -hmm. let that thing fly. He probably just closed his eyes and let it rip and missed countless wide open receivers. So after that, you see fans were. They were ready to, to burn Clifton down. Uh, ever since then, he settled into the job. Uh, you know, this past week, he threw for almost 350-some yards. Uh, to, I mean, he's completing about almost 68% of his passes, and he already has 11 touchdowns. So he settled into the role, and I have since then I have no questions about him getting it done. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. A couple of things to talk about related to things you just brought up there. So with, with Prater, you mentioned he's – more similar to, to Desmond Ritter, right? Mm-hmm. And so do you mean by that, do you mean he's got more with his feet? He can make some stuff happen there. He's a more physical runner or, or what do you mean on that? And then I, I got to follow up on that as well. Yeah, he's he's more of a uh, he's more of a runner. He doesn't like Ben Bryant's been sacked 11 times already. Uh, Ooh, and I, I don't necessarily think that it, we've had some injuries on the front line, but I don't think I'm not putting that all on them because he's a 100% pocket passer. He's not a, you know, a dead statue back there. He'll you know, but he's not running like a bootleg or RPO like Des did. Uh, yeah. He's definitely looking to to get the ball out, stay in the pocket, where Evan will tuck it and run. And he's he's got the athleticism to to pick up a you know if it's third and medium and he doesn't he's not going to wait around to make his you know third progression or whatever. He's just tucking it and running. Where Bryant's looking to pass for his first, second, third, fourth, fifth option to his detriment sometimes. So, yeah. uh, yeah, Prater much more of a, not quite a carbon copy, but much more comparable to Des Ritter. Yeah, that makes sense. And that, that kind of leads me into my next one, which was related to like, I was looking at the, the differential between running and passing this year for Cincinnati. And I'm very used to Cincy running the ball more, which makes sense. You know, you look at the past previous teams, especially last year, you've got Ritter who can run, you've got Jerome Ford who can run, you got Jared Dokes a couple years ago. I mean, all these guys, and that was an extremely powerful running attack, right? And Ritter, while a good quarterback, he definitely got better, especially near the end of his career at the deep ball. Early in his career, definitely didn't have that. And maybe he got that later on. But is that the reason? Is Ben just, you know, you mentioned it already. He's he's more of the pocket passer. He's got the better arm. Is that the sole reason for why Cincinnati's passing more often than they're running this year? Or is it more just because, you know, Prater is, you know, if he was there, do you think if he was there, it'd be the more the running, the run heavy style that was there with Ritter? Yes, but not necessarily for for the reasons that you kind of hinted at. So one, yeah, yeah, uh, Ben Bryant's more of a passer. He's he can throw the ball and what I think is the longest, you know, pass, you know, including yards after the catch was 75 yards this past Saturday. Like (laughs) and that happened multiple times. I think our leading wide receiver Tyler Scott uh on this past Saturday he was the American Conference athletic or uh, offensive player of the week he had 10 receptions 185 yards three touchdowns uh <laughs> so you know you know when you got receivers that can get open because they're that fast you're probably going to throw more as well but with Jerome Ford the past you know couple years we we Fickle had no problem handing him the ball 40 times right cuz he was that just yeah eat up eat up carries eat up yards kind of back we have three good or potentially really good running backs but we don't have an every down back like jerome ford right uh, or even going back to uh 
to Mike Warren and some of the other guys previously. Uh, we have Charles, Charles McClelland, who is a, kind of a crazy story. He, you know, one year on the team, he tore his right ACL, came back, you know, rehabbed, looked great. Then he tore the ACL in the other leg. Oh, God. Uh, and he, yeah. And so this year, you know, knock on wood so far, he's he's healthy and he's probably getting the majority of the touches. And then like I, I brought up uh, Corey Kiner. Uh, as well he's that guy's built like a bowling ball like if it's if we're inside the five and we need to punch it in he's going to get the ball and he's going to try to run somebody over where McClellan is more like a, a scat back he'll make a move and you know try to get some separation and stuff like that and then Miles Montgomery who's been a little bit banged up we haven't seen too much of him uh, but you know the three of them might add up to what the carries that Jerome Ford would have gotten by himself last year yeah so yeah yeah, very nice. That's cool. I mean, of of those guys, do you think McClellan is the most dangerous, or or which of them? I think. I mean, or is it just kind of like the triple headed monster style where it's all three of them? Yeah, I, I I'm not going to give Miles Montgomery that much credit yet because he has been hurt and I haven't really seen what he could do. Um, you know, Corey Kiner, like I said, he's like a bruiser, but for you know whatever reason, we're not feeding him as much. I would mm-hmm. like to see him get the ball more because when he does it, when he gets it, he's you know probably going to truck somebody and make a play that way uh and then it just kind of depends on what style you like you like to see a a fast running back that can you know make a a jump cut and you know pick up another 15 yards or if you want to see somebody crush some skulls and you know run up the middle kiner's more your guy so it just depends on your style uh and for fickle he's probably more of a guy that leans towards kiner you know hand off the ball running up the gut and three yards in a cloud of dust um Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, with a big 10 background that he has, but either, either one, depending on, you know, you can pick your style and, and go from there. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, switching to the receiver side, you mentioned Tyler Scott and yeah, I saw, I saw his numbers from last game, like 10 catches, five t- or a couple, I don't know how many, three touchdowns that game, something like yep. that. Um, and I was looking at his stats from last year and I think he's already mostly met like his, his stats from the entire season last season in the first four games of this one uh same amount of touchdowns catching up on yards already um did you expect that big of a jump from him coming into the season or or did you i know trey tucker's on that team he's been talented for a long time did you think he would kind of be the lead guy or or did you think tyler scott would be well i think we know we're looking we're not necessarily still looking i think tyler scott has emerged as this but going into the season we were looking for someone to replace Alec Pierce, who you know yep. got drafted by the Colts, uh, he was that deep threat. And if Dez was off the mark, Alec could jump up, make an incredible play and catch, and you know, and bring it down. So far, Tyler Scott, he just he's just running past people. Like he is incredibly fast. Uh, I, I'm not going to throw out a, a number on his forty time, but if whatever forty time you think is fast, like take off <laughs> a little bit of that because that's that's Tyler Scott. Uh, Trey Tucker, he's. He's more the guy that's going to give the offense um, a little bit more uh, diversity or flair. You know, they'll run a, a jet sweep with him, or um, they've even ran some screen passes where you know they're they're targeting him because he is he's got that that burst of speed where he's. There's a debate on the team who's faster, Trey Tucker or Tyler Scott. I'd probably say Trey Tucker is actually, um, but they're they're kind of letting him. But throwing it to him in the backfield or, or drawing up some cer- certain plays or packages for him where Tyler Scott will just streak down the field and, and get open. So both of those guys I would look out for. Uh, Tyler Scott, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he has five touchdowns already. If 
I'm not mistaken. I think he has at least one in every game so far. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty nice. Definitely going to be, you know, we got, we got tested a bit at Ole Miss uh, through the air last week. Um, they definitely, you know, they count on the run game more this year than, than they typically do, but still they've got, they've got some ballers on the outside at receiver. This is probably going to be, I mean, probably our biggest test through the air, looking at the numbers that Cincinnati is putting up uh, passing on offense so far. So definitely looking forward to that one. It'll be, that'll be quite the matchup. Uh, okay, moving to the defensive side of the ball here. Uh, you mentioned it already. Nine total players drafted last year. Six of those nine were from the defensive side. So uh, over half the starters on that defensive side of the ball drafted into the NFL. That is just a ridiculous amount of talent to try to replace in one one offseason. Yeah. Uh, but like I said earlier, I mean, it doesn't seem like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it doesn't seem like the drop-off has been that big, right? I mean, I know a lot of people were uh, maybe expecting a bigger one, uh, certainly. So what do you think the defense has been like so far this year? And how has that uh, replacement transition gone? Well, that's, that's a loaded question, man. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, right. Sauce Gardner is gone, right? He, number, he was number one for the Bearcats last year. Um, yeah. The highest draft pick in school history at number four to the Jets. And they just played the Bengals this weekend. And that was oh, great man. back and so forth good. on Twitter and everything. Yeah. And even if you're, you're, you're watching that, that was great. Him going up against uh, Jamar Chase, but at watch like watching, you know, sauce for three years, literally shut down an entire side of the field. Mm-hmm. And then watching, I've only been like out of our two home games, technically, because one was at the Bengal stadium. I've only made it to one. And just the difference between teams willing to test us now, uh, is, is gone is skyrocketed. You know, yeah, there's all right. oh, we'll just throw it up because they don't have that generational talent that no one saw coming. Right. Yeah. So that, that I've, I've seen a lot. We it's, you know, again, it's a replacement by committee. It's not one guy. Uh, it's a, a bunch of younger guys that, um, are, in my opinion, are still looking to prove themselves. Uh, some wild plays against Indiana this week where literally guys just caught staring at our sideline uh, and not seeing a guy, you know, walk into the end zone. Uh, so, I mean, if, if you got some wide receivers, you could test us this year. Uh, they're, we're giving up some throwing score or, you know, passing touchdowns this year, yeah. without a doubt. It's, it's it's not like it was. You know, we've lost our – maybe our best defensive end, Malik Van, who's a local guy. Uh, he had um, torn pectoral or something. I think he had to have uh, surgically repaired, so he's gone. Oh, uh, he, uh, yeah, he was a, a big, big part. I think he was, a, he came back for his, his fifth year. Uh, it was going to be a big part of, uh, the defense and, uh, a unit that probably didn't get the credit it deserved last year was our linebacker room, uh, because you had, you know, you had, um, my J Sanders on the D end who was just an animal. And then you yeah. had the secondary that with Kobe and sauce, the linebackers kind of got overlooked, but this year they're the star of the show. So our, our, defensive star has been Ivan Pace. Um, mm-hmm. His brother was already on the team. Ivan played for Miami, Ohio. Uh, oh, we, we talked right. about them. He was their best player yeah. uh, and then transferred over here to UC, you know, before the game, before that game, uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, their coach was all up in arms and, you know, ticked off about it and, you know, damn the transfer portal and all that stuff. Uh, and then, you know, Ivan Pace went out and had like 25 tackles against Miami, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, just blew him up. Uh, Beautiful. But, 
he is like, you know, there were some uh, some linebackers. Jaheim Thomas w- was a guy that I was really looking to take up, uh, you know, a big part of the defense this year. Uh, but Ivan Pace has been like, I mean, there's no other way to put it. And it caught me off guard that he'd be this good, this fast. I mean, he's right. just the star of the defense so far. So above or below defensive expectations this year after you lost all those guys, did you think it would be, wh- where do you think they would fall versus where they are right now? I'm probably saying like they're about where I expected. My expectations weren't as high as last year's, uh, you know, so I, I did have uh, lesser expectations, but they have, you know, met or, you know, been right there so far as about what I expected. And it's probably, you know, they'll get better, especially the guys in the secondary. Uh, Javon Hicks is a, is a guy that a safety that's been there. He played, you know, started with, with sauce and Kobe and he's kind of like the leader uh, uh, you know, of that secondary. And I've, he's been a guy that um, I have not been too high on the past couple of years. So, you know, ha- having him as our leader, uh, you know, kind of, you know, doesn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, for um, sure. But, you know, he's 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 stepped up and we have guys like Arquan Bush, who against Miami got absolutely embarrassed, like the first drive and the second possession that Miami had. He turned around and had an interception. Um, so, you know, guys that rebound have a have a you know short memory and, you know, come back out the next series and try to get it done. Defense is, I mean, it's still Bearcat defense. They're physical, you know, every hat to the ball. Uh, they're going to, you know, try to hit you hard and intimidate you however uh, they can. But it is, it's just the talent level is not where it was last year, but still performing probably where they should. Awesome. And forgive me, I'm blanking on the defensive coordinator's name. I know Freeman left two years ago. So who, who's the, uh, who, who do you guys have at DC right now? Mike Tressel. He's Jim Tressel's nephew, maybe. Nice. Um, He's he's actually been at UC previously and then went to Michigan State and then Fickle brought him back after we lost uh, Freeman to Notre Dame. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, So we talked a little bit about offense and defense. Um, Are there any names we didn't talk about really on, on the UC side that you think Tulsa fans should know about going into game day? Um... I'll, yeah, I'll throw out uh, a name that you'll you'll d- do a double take here when you hear it. He's a, a D lineman. He's kind of stepped up in um, Malik Van's spot since he, you know he's been out with the injury. His name is, and I'm not making this up. It is Dante Corleone. Ooh, okay. look at that! Uh, he is nice. he is a he is a unit of a man, uh, and look for him to you know be disruptive and uh, sort of s- shut down the edge. Uh, he's he's stepped in. He's probably definitely performing better than what I thought he would for ha- having very little experience. Uh, but you can tell he's a natural. Awesome, that is good stuff. <clears throat> cool. Okay, so rounding out here, just got some other kind of uh, off the wall one for you, but yeah. Um, about Luke Fickle, right? You know, everybody loves him. He is obviously a hell of a coach doing a great job over there. Uh, you guys about to join the big 12, right? And so that's gonna, you know, uh, hopefully keep him around even longer than he would have had you been staying in the American. Um, everybody always says that he would only ever leave for like Ohio state and, you know, maybe Michigan or Michigan state or something like that. Big 10, like the big time, big 10 jobs. Right. Um, do you think I, when you look at the long term, now that you're in the big 12, do you think he's just you think Cincinnati's where he's going to be, or do you think he, you know, is it is it still like he's gone if one of those jobs open, or how long? I guess do you think he will be with Cincy? 
That's a great question, uh, and there's there's multiple ways to answer it. I mean, Michigan State already came calling before they backed up the Brinks truck to Mel Tucker or whatever the guy's yeah. name is. Like, I, what are they, they're paying him like ninety five million dollars, and it is not not going it is great. Not working Actually. out. No, they they tried hard to get fickle. They rolled out the like Magic Johnson came in and like all kind of stuff. Whoa, um, yeah, hear about that. yeah, um, and he said, uh, you know, I'm good uh, because it was a bad situation at the time. I think. I mean, they are. Michigan State, and they've you know they've they've done things as well. The he was their coach. What was their uh, their previous coach's name? Uh, D'Antonio. Oh yeah, um, yeah. He was uh, he was sort of a mentor for Fickle because he oh, was really? at Ohio State uh, before he was at UC. So we're like, like, oh, Fickle was Ohio State, and now he's at UC, and now he'll come to Michigan State just like Mark D'Antonio. That didn't happen, um, which is great. Fickle yeah, has. Set up some deep roots here in Cincinnati. Uh, he has an incredible, I'm going to call it barn, uh, at his house uh, here in Cincinnati. It, I mean, it's like a million and a half dollars. Like when I yeah. like, there's no animals in this barn. It's like an indoor basketball court. There's nice. like a fire pit and like you know, a, like a retreat that the team can go to when he has them over. Cool. Like, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I don't. Let me. He would have left for Notre Dame this year had we not been in the playoff mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that wholeheartedly because if the his response to their call was just not right now. Like he will he's not he's got you know the greatest integrity in the world from what I, you know he's not Brian Kelly. Let me just throw that out there, okay? You know, uh yeah. he he was going whether you know he was going to see the job done with UC before he entertained a call from Notre Dame and that didn't work out well for him and maybe not for Notre Dame, even though I love Marcus Freeman and (laughs) it feels weird to pull for Notre Dame again because of him. And for Ohio state, there's some like whispers that Luke fickle kind of wants to give them the middle finger. uh, Because when he, after, you know, after his less than ideal season there, when he took over, when Trestle got fired, he went six and seven. You know, it was like their only like losing season in like a million years or whatever. Like, shut up, Ohio State. Um, but they didn't to get the full time job. I guess they didn't even give him an interview, which oh. is a courtesy, especially for an alum of the team and you know longtime coach. And that yeah. kind of set sour with him. So I don't I don't know if I don't know if he would. I mean, you know, maybe if the check's large enough, who knows? But. Um, yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't expect him. I would expect him to go to Notre Dame before Ohio State. Damn. All right. But I, I, you know, that's that's you know just sort of some whispers. I don't yeah. just you know maybe I was talking about used car salesman down in Kentucky who told everyone <laughs> yeah. about the Tulsa game. I don't know, but that's, yeah. that's some, some of the whispers that I've heard around yeah. here so far. Yeah, I mean, no, you mentioned the integrity comment, and that's you know you hear about you hear that about fick all the time that he's just a really upstanding guy and all that stuff and you mentioned brian kelly my first thought when you were going down that road was oh i bet he's going to talk about scott frost leaving because he left right before or right after but had agreed to the uh nebraska coaching job while ucf was about to go to the peach bowl and and do all that stuff so yeah i'm glad uh, i'm glad for you guys i mean i like him i, I think he's an amazing coach obviously and feels like he's a perfect fit at Cincy. so it's, it's yeah, nice. and you know he has like um, I don't know how I don't quote me on this number, but he has like fifteen kids. Like yeah. every, uh, it's it's at least approaching double digits. I think he might have like eight for real. Um, yeah. But the, and and they're a Catholic, large Catholic family. There's plenty of those in Cincinnati. A large, you know, uh, I mean every 
there's all sort of private Catholic schools here. I, I couldn't even name them all. Um, and I think his family really likes that. So as long as he still has kids looking to grow up in a quote unquote wholesome environment, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think that'll, those sort of roots will keep him from moving as well. So I, I hope the fickle family has like four more children. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, okay. So let's get your thoughts on the game here. The series tied 17, 17 overall for all time. Um, so here we go. You've got just like Miami of Ohio, you got a chance to, to take the money and run here and, and take the lead before leaving the conference. Um, should be potentially, you know, probably the last time we'll meet up as conference foes, assuming that we don't meet up again in the conference championship or anything like that. Uh, all, like I mentioned earlier, all the recent games have been very close average of seven point differential over the last three matchups. The spread is currently nine and a half on this game. So how do you see it going? Do you think, I assume you think since he's going to win, but do you think, uh, Tulsa will cover that spread or, or what are your thoughts on it? On the surface, I'm like, yeah, Bearcats cover. Like, uh, I would take that. Uh, having witnessed the games between Cincinnati and Tulsa the past two years, uh, at least the one, the one being the conference championship game where it took a game winning field goal. And then last year's game where, by the grace of God, Tulsa had eight possessions inside the five-yard line and <laughs> yeah. did not win the game I know, on, man. to spoil college game day and homecoming and a playoff berth for the Bearcats. Uh, had I not do it, if I don't know those two things, I'd be like, yeah, Bearcats cover. Um, knowing those two things, I think it's going to be a, a, a close. I know you guys have played in a couple, three really close games already this season. I think it's going to be close. I, I, I'll take, I'll take, Tulsa covering, but the Bearcats get the win. Yeah, makes sense. Oh my god, I, I can't believe you brought up the eight possessions inside the. <laughs> so like me and Matt still talk about that that game. That was just like just so brutal. Oh my god, so close to pulling that one off, and well, would have been now nice. that guys are are you know starting running back. So see if he. Oh yeah, yeah. The guy he's the guy Matt's talking about is uh, Steven Anderson was the running back there. He's like I don't know if you've seen his uh, his like bio on TU's website. He's 6'2", 260, and he, he's the guy He's the guy we threw at you like four times in a row at the goal line, and uh, Cincinnati's defense stood up. If I'm Tulsa fans, that's not the guy I'm blaming. I am blaming, <laughs> yeah. I'm blaming Brent. Yeah. Because I, I there was one, I, I don't know exactly, but I remember he had a clear waltz into the end zone where he could have right. just Deion Sanders his way in there. Oh, yeah, I remember. Walked off into the sunset. And he just stood there, and I'm just like, this guy is – give him the, the team awards for the week because had he taken two steps forward, we lose that game. Damn, uh, good point. But that's, that, was, uh, that was a wild, wild day in, in yeah. Nippert. Yeah, I forgot about that play. Did he slide early? Is that he like could have uh-huh. easily gotten in there, but he chose to slide with nobody yeah. there? Is that yeah, it was – yeah, all he had to do was like – if he would have dove – yeah. yeah. Anything but sl- like slide was like the worst possible option. And that's what he went with. And yeah. I rejoice <laughs> because of it. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because now he's, he's pretty he's pretty reckless or not reckless, but he he doesn't slide very often anymore. And I wonder if it's because of that. And like we were we, I just mentioned, we just played all Miss last weekend and he got the crap knocked out of him one play because of that. Like he was running. I mean, he had already gone like eight, 10 yards, was past the first down still was just like, I'm not going down here. And he saw, he started to slide at the very end, but like he had already been, he, he had mostly been getting, getting hit already. And uh, then he's hurt. He's out for the rest of the game. So he only played a half of that game. Um, the question is whether he's going to be back against you guys. So 
we will see. Okay. It's still a day to day thing because he is playing out of his mind right now. I don't know if you've seen uh, his number is quite uh, like up to up to date, but yeah, playing great. If we don't have him, that'll be a, that'll definitely be a struggle. So that's what my eye is most on right now. I mean, I, history tells me it's going to be a good game. So. I, yeah. you know, I, uh, you know, I, I mentioned some, uh, Bearcats fans I saw are, are headed out that way to, to go to the game. Uh, I, myself, I'm heading up a, a watch party, uh, here on the West side of Cincinnati at a, uh, at a bar that I work at. I, I've worked at over the summer. Uh, it's actually my last night at the bar. Uh, so, you know, we're going to try to get a little crazy kick off at seven. I love that. Yeah. Love me it. Too. it worked out great. I was like, please not a noon game. I, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah what the options were, but it's yeah. best case scenario. So looking to get a little rowdy and, uh, and watch the game because it's history tells me it's going to be a close one. Yeah, man. Seven Eastern six central time game. ESPN U, I believe is the TV channel. If I'm remembering yep. that right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that, that's prime. That's prime. I was really hoping you were going to be in Tulsa. Cause I know I still owe you some beer from our bet like two years ago. So I was hoping yeah, to catch yeah, you. Yeah. This time. <laughs> so next time, I mean, uh, I guess there won't, maybe won't be a next time for a while. Hopefully we'll catch you in the conference championship game. We'll both go to that. Yeah. There's always basketball season. There's always basketball. That's true. I'll make it out to one of those. Or maybe you'll come to, to Tulsa for that. But yeah. yeah, I was hoping to catch you with the beer there. Yeah, cool, I, man. I, no problem. I appreciate it, guys. I definitely always look forward to coming on and, and redeeming myself from my first appearance. So I appreciate it. No, you did great. Everybody loved you. <laughs> like we, I, I have had people talk to me about who was the guy from the Go Beer Cats because he liked the interview. It's just fun. It's more casual than your than your average interview, which I thought was good. fantastic. So good. good no, stuff. we really appreciate you coming on the show as usual. Really excited for this game. Um, you want to plug uh, plug the Beer Cats or anything else you want to plug that t- to you people can follow along with before the game or during the game or anything like that. Uh, yeah, so uh, go beer cats on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and if you are uh, into craft the craft beer scene, uh, go beer cats on an app called Untapped, uh, where you you know sort of keep track of of your, your beers and whatnot. I'm very uh, dedicated to that app, maybe even more so than Twitter. And if you follow <laughs> me on Twitter, you know I'm pretty dedicated to that app. So go nice. beer cats. Um, I'm, I'm not a great uh, trash talker, but you know, I'll, I'll throw some shade here and there, uh, especially if Bryn decides to slide again on the two yard line. Um, but yeah, uh, and, uh, the podcast, I'm going to have you guys on to do a little home and home and talk about Tulsa. So if you are tired of hearing about the Bearcats and need to cleanse your palates with some Tulsa talk, uh, come check out the, uh, go Bearcats podcast streaming everywhere you want to be. Perfect. And I should have asked you this at the top. I was thinking about the beer from the playoff uh, last year, but do you have a beer of the week already? I guess, what are you drinking right now? And is, is that what you drink all week? Or do you have a different uh, thing in mind? I guess you'll be drinking a bunch of different ones at the bar on Saturday. Yeah, I, I always, you know, if there's, if there's beers that I really like, I'll, I'll buy more. But usually my goal is to not to drink the same beer twice, just nice. to, you know, see what all the options are. But I am drinking... I mean, it's like it was like a high of like 65 in Cincinnati today. So it just feels like fall, feels like football. Um, And I'm not a person to shy away from the pumpkin beer. Like I know they get their, you know, their bad reps, but I will certainly enjoy one. But I've been trying to find different ones, like Mm -hmm. not just like the pumpkin ale. So like this week I've had a a pumpkin lager. Uh, I had a pumpkin IPA. And then today I'm drinking a beer called Wicked, an Imperial Pumpkin Spice Latte Stout. So um, it is pretty delicious. Um, very dark, as you can see here. Listen, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's oh, it's from, it's a Columbus beer, which Columbus beers don't have anything on Cincinnati beers. They just, but uh, this one's solid. I, I'll have to yeah. check out this brewery next time I'm up in Columbus. 
Yeah, that's cool. I'm definitely not a I'm not a pumpkin beer guy, but I know Matt is. Yeah, well, I was like, when, whenever we went camping last year, Ryan, didn't we had we had that like pumpkin sour? I want to say. It oh yeah, really, that was that was weird. Was really yeah, good. I think I liked it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'd try that out for sure. Good stuff. Cool, man. All right. Well, we'll catch you over on your show here in a second. But thanks again for joining, and I'm looking forward to the game on Saturday. Absolutely, Ryan, Matt. Have a good evening. See you. Okay, thanks again to Brandon for uh, coming on the show here. Man, always great, always great uh, getting the inside scoop on on the Bearcats, especially with him. He's always fun to talk to. Um, Like we mentioned, huge game. Since he looks like the top dog in the conference so far this season, we get him at home to start conference play. That is huge deal. I mean, I'm telling you, please, if you have time to go to this game, listener, go to the game. Matt and I will both be there. I can't wait. It's a huge one, like we said already. If TU can pull it off, get the early conference win. We're in the driver's seat for this league. I swear. So excited about it. Matt, what do you think? Do you think we, you think we pull this one off or where, where do you stand on this one so far? Um, yeah, I was going to say like, Oh, I said that on the interview, but we also were on go beer cats podcast right yeah. after we have done three interviews today. I don't <laughs> know how I'm still standing here. Yeah. So, uh, I am just, kind of forgetting what where I said what. But yeah, I think the way our offense is, this is the best to you offense that we've had since 2016. Um easily, like without a doubt. And so if there's a year where we're going to beat Cincinnati before they leave for the Big 12, it's going to be the year where they've lost their generational or like I don't know if generational is the right word, but they're like they had nine guys drafted. Like those are NFL caliber players that we no longer have to worry about. Yeah. They have a new quarterback. Like they are not the same team that they were last year. That's not to say they're bad. Obviously they're not. They could have been four and zero coming into this game. Um, you know, only having that close loss on the road at Arkansas. Uh, that being said, I feel good. If Davis Britton is back and is healthy enough to like actually play if that's if that's the case um i think we'll be able to like i think he'll be able to feast on a weaker secondary that cincinnati has and so i think we win but i think it's going to be a high scoring affair if that's the case close though it's always close these (laughs) two teams play yeah i'm with you i I think we win too i think the keys are one, what you mentioned already, does Davis Brin play? Two, we saw some good stuff from the running backs last game. Can we see some continued? It seems they're playing. Seems like they're playing better every week. Figuring it out with the new offensive line, all of that. Does that carry over again into the Cincinnati game? Can we establish something on the ground? Three, can we get some semblance of the defense that played the second half of that Ole Miss game again in this one uh, against Cincinnati? Because man, they were lights out. So. Hoping those are those are the three for me. I agree though. I think we've got the best chance to beat Cincinnati this year as opposed to the last three years. And I I feel you, man. The offense is capable. They lost six guys on the defensive side of the ball of the NFL last year. If Davis is playing, gotta feel like they're gonna pick them apart. Cincinnati has the offensive firepower to also pick us apart, unfortunately. So I agree. I think if we do win, I bet it's a high scorer. Um, but we'll see, man. I'm I'm so excited for the game. Like I I am really looking forward to it. Mentioned we'll both be there. So if you're around, hit us up. Uh, We'll be around the stadium doing the tailgate thing, all that. 
I was just going to be, look for the man eating nachos. Oh my God. I could not, I I, I hadn't even thought about it. Oh my, yeah, that's happening. I'm going to get like six orders of nachos for this game. We're going to be there, hopefully, like early. And I guess I don't know when the concession stands actually open. But assuming they open at tailgate time, I'm just going to be eating nachos all day. If they're good. I mean, maybe I'll get my first ones and they'll still be bad. Uh, in which case, that would be a bummer. However, somebody, I can't, I'm blanking on you. Sorry if, if you're listening. But um, someone on Twitter hit us up after, I think it was after the uh, Jacksonville State game, and said that the nachos are, in fact, much improved. And fi- and they, they were giving it uh, their seal of approval. So I am excited about the nachos and will definitely be taking advantage of that improvement. All right, uh, rolling along here. Um, okay, men's basketball schedule. It is out, and it is interesting. There are some fun fun opponents on there for sure. Season opener, assuming I'm, I, there's going to be an exhibition game, I assume, uh, but that's not on the schedule. So season opener for real is November 7th, and that is against uh, Oregon State. And where is the legend on here that denotes home game? So Oregon State is a road game. Um and that's the thing, the, the stipulation on the schedule, there are some fun opponents, but almost none of them are at home, right? The home opponents are Jackson State, which almost, again, we've got like two tangential to Deion Sanders Jackson State teams. We've got Jacksonville State, who we played in football, and then Jackson State, the actual team that Deion Sanders coaches at, but we're playing their basketball team, uh, not their football team, unfortunately. So we will play them. That's the first home game. That is on November 12th. Uh, then we head off to the Myrtle Beach Invitational, which Man, that has a bunch of fun schools in it. That tournament has Loyola, Chicago, Boise State, Texas A&M, Murray State, Colorado, and some others. Lots of fun ones there. So uh, watching it on TV, at least, will be uh, should be fun in terms of the quality of opponent we'll be playing there. Then we've got Oklahoma State uh, on the road to end November. So that is one home game in the stretch of an entire month. And that one game is Jackson State, like we mentioned. So November is going to be uh, a little uh, wanting in terms of home games. And we don't get, that's on November 12th. We don't get back home until December 3rd. And that's when we play or- Oral Roberts. And the rest of the non-conference schedule after that, November has, a, like I said, a bunch of fun teams in November. Almost none of them at home. December, more home games. None of them are that exciting. You've got Oral Roberts, which is fun. That's always a good one. Pretty sure that's Duquesne's logo uh, on the 7th of December. Then you've got Central Michigan um, on the 10th. These are all home games. Have no idea what that fourth one is. December 16th, have never seen that logo in my life. Uh, Matt, do you know what that is off the top of your head? Are you looking at this? Uh, which one are you looking at? Uh, the It's December 16th. It's like a VS. Yeah, I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, so we'll see. I don't know. I, I've never seen that ever. Uh, but that's another home game. Then we go on the road. We play LMU, which I assume is Loyola Marymount, but that's the only LM school I can think of off the top of my head. So I think that's them. And then we're into conference play. So And conference play is always fun. So um interesting schedule november is a bummer in that there's no real home games but there are fun teams so that that's a you know plus one on one side minus one on the other side uh december is kind of a snoozer in terms of the opponents we play however there are many more home games so if you're just looking for home games to go to got a lot of them in december Uh, and then we only yeah go ahead uh mississippi valley state that's the v is that an m in there oh valley state oh was the m the weird green in the back i thought that was just a background of green maybe it's an m back there Wow, what a horrible logo. <laughs> Mississippi Valley State De- Devil something. Delta Devils. Mississippi oh, Valley State Delta. 
Devils. They're either the Delta Devils or the Mississippi State Delta. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> Mississippi Valley State. Come on, get your get your branding act together here, guys. God. Anyway. Uh, and yeah, Loyola Marymount is the LMU. Okay, nice. Uh, then conference play comes at the very end of December. We kick that off with Houston. Not going to go through the whole conference schedule, obviously, but uh, home opener is the conference opener. So we get Houston at home on December twenty eighth, and then conference play comes. We only have to play uh, Memphis and Cincinnati one time. Those are the two that we don't have the full round robin with. Um, so that's cool. I mean, those are both probably going to be pretty solid teams in the league this year. So we miss both of them. Um, we do get Houston both times, which is fun. Last year in the league for them. Uh, we get UCF both times. Also fun. Wichita, you know, all the same that, that we always enjoy playing. So Ooh, UCF interesting season. Should be good one. Day. What's up? UCF on senior day. Oh, repeat from last year. That game winner. Let's go. That'd be nice. But yeah, cool. Uh, any any other thoughts on the schedule, Matt, before we move on? No. I mean, um, seems fun. I'm just, yeah, I feel like it's just more questions about the team. Uh, they're like, what are we going to yeah. see? It's it's all so new. So, yep. For sure. And we'll have plenty of time to discuss all so many newcomers on this team, man. It's crazy, uh, including the coach, obviously. So, uh, we'll have plenty of time to discuss that later on as we get closer to basketball season. But for now, got the schedule. Uh, check it out. It's on Twitter. It's online. It's everywhere, uh, wherever you want to find it. So um, getting close, getting close to basketball season, November 7th. Keep it in mind. That's that's game one. Just a little bit over a month away. Pretty awesome. OK, uh, moving on here. Men's soccer. They are still killing it, uh, just like they were last year. Um, they just recently this week beat number 10 Charlotte at home. Uh, that was just like two days ago on Sunday. They are five, one and one. Now they are number two in the country in RPI ratings. They are number 18 in the country, uh, in top drawer soccer's ratings and across the board, extremely talented. They had the AAC defensive player of the week this week and Henry sack. They had the goalkeeper of the week and Alex Lopez team is still extremely talented, uh, no matter where you look. And that was zero to three loss to whoever the hell we lost to a couple weeks ago is looking weirder and weirder as we Florida go on international Florida international. Yeah. Yeah. So well, and of, we're in the, uh, United soccer coaches were 12. Oh, nice. I forgot well. to even look that up. Yeah. yeah awesome. We swapped, we swapped with like, uh, we took Charlotte's spot. Okay, cool. So they're still above us in top drawer, which is somewhat surprising, but I guess, I don't know. Weird. Um, but yeah, still killing it. Uh, they got one game coming up, coming up this week. That is on the road against UAB, uh, Friday the 30th at 7 PM. So, uh, should be a good one. Another, another conference mate now. Uh, do you yeah, want to take well, women's soccer or yeah. Yeah. I know. Well, I was just going to say like, I was looking at like, so FIU is also a conference mate because they joined yeah. the American for just soccer apparently and women's swimming, which, Oh, I was, not, I was right. not aware of because I know like FAU joined for all sports. But yes. International is because I thought Charlotte was our first uh, conference game, but it was not. So there's a lot of good teams um, in the American. Now you've got Memphis is receiving votes. SMU is receiving votes. Charlotte is there. FIU was just recently ranked. So, uh, yeah, should be an exciting season. The American um, man conference power in soccer. Yeah. So just switching over to the women's team, they only had one game as well. Um, it was at South Florida. Um, we have not in as long as we've been in the American have not ever gotten a point 
in Tampa oh against God, the Bulls. No way. Wow. Yeah, and unfortunately, that stayed the case as the Bulls yeah. um, took a 1-0 win. Um, outshot us like 20 to six. So, but you know, like coach, uh, Jim Ryan was saying, like, you know, you can see that this team has made improvements. It's not an overnight thing. Like if you look at where we were last year, if you look at where we were at the beginning of the year, like you can see that there's definitely improvements. And so like, you're not going to win everyone, but I still think like the freshman goalkeeper, seven saves only like on like so they had what eight shots on goal so saved seven of them whereas we only had like two or so so like she's she looks super solid and i you know south florida is just a tough place to play yeah yeah for sure and that that brings them to six four and one on the season uh and up next it looks like we've only got one game this week for the women's soccer team and they're on the road against east carolina that is thursday so two days from while we're recording here, probably tomorrow uh, when you're listening to it, uh, Thursday, the 29th, six o'clock PM in Greenville. So should be a good one. It's honestly almost one day away from when I'm recording this. That is very true. Good point. Uh, yeah. So women's volleyball, we are into conference play. Now um, we beat East Carolina at home on Friday. That was three, three sets to two close one there. Um, and then we swept temple on Sunday, just a couple days ago, beat them three sets to zero at home, both of which were played here in Tulsa. So nice start uh, for conference play for the Hurricane. Up next, we've got a road match. Looks like the only thing happening this next week. Uh, road match against South Florida. That's on Friday the 30th at 3 o'clock p.m. Um, Central Time. So uh, if you want to watch some women's volleyball, got a chance. Uh, yeah, I just had a quick update on at least on the men's cross-country team. Yep. Um, highest ranking. They tied their highest national ranking ever with fifth or like ranks number five in the country right now. Um, issue is, you know, all those teams that are in our region are always up there like OSU and Iowa state, but uh, fifth as of now with a lot of season left to go. So look to them to a win the conference B make another, take another shot at the NCAA um, champions. Very nice. And to close things out, uh, one more note we wanted to finish up on here. Uh, Tulsa has a cool program. Um, they've got a Masters of Athletic Training. They're doing a, a cool event right here, so I wanted to give a shout-out to, to what they're doing. Um, and that is a, a program that is a, fundra a fundraiser for breast cancer awareness. So uh, I know we do this in some other sports every now and then. Football usually has a breast cancer awareness day as well. You see stuff like that in the NFL. Um, so the Master of Athletic Training program, doing their own. Uh, they've got a store set up to buy a limited edition Tulsa athletic training shirt. And it's pretty cool. We saw a picture of it. It's black. It's got kind of a hot pink uh, Tulsa script on it with athletic training also in hot pink written under it. And it looks, it looks pretty sweet. Uh, we'll put it on Twitter as well. Um, if you want to, if you want to find it there, uh, I might remember to put a link to it in the show notes. If I'm uh, still awake uh, in, uh, enough to remember to do that tonight when I'm editing, but we'll try to. Uh, but anyway, the, the shirt in question, if you buy it, the proceeds from the shirt, the shirt purchases will be donated to uh, a project called the Oklahoma Project Women. And a quick note on them, they provide access to care for uninsured women and men in Oklahoma to facilitate the early diagnosis of breast cancer. Additionally, um, Oklahoma Project for Women provides access to mammograms, biopsies, and surgeries, serves people of all ages all over Oklahoma. 
Um, the sale ends October 5th. That is not that far away. Let me see. 20, today's the 27th. The 5th is a week from tomorrow, uh, a week from today, hopefully, when you're hearing this. Um, shipping, uh, totally available. So you can ship it to wherever you're at. Uh, limited edition shirt, like I said, got the hot pink uh, Tulsa script, which is cool. Got the hot pink Tulsa Athletics uh, underneath the Tulsa script there. You got a breast cancer ribbon on the sleeve. Um, I'm sure you'll see pictures of it. Go looking for them if, if you haven't. Um, it's really a great cost. Fundraising for it uh, is is very needed. Proceeds going to a great local organization. Um, again, I'll try to put the link in the show notes for this, but we will absolutely tweet this out. So if nothing else, you could find it on our Twitter account. I'm sure uh, others around the T community will be will be preaching it as well. Um, I, heard, I heard Brad Carson bought a shirt today. So if you want to match him. We did. We did here. That's a real thing. He's not joking. Brad Carson did buy a shirt. Uh, yeah. So be like Brad, uh, should be the mantra for everybody basically. Cause that guy freaking just killing it all the time these days. Uh, be like Brad Buy a university of Tulsa masters of athletic training program shirt in support of breast cancer awareness month and the Oklahoma project women. That'd be awesome. I'll get myself one. Let's see. How much are they? Do they have the, li- do they have it on the link on there? Ah, the shirts are, if you want a short sleeve shirt, $20 and 39 cents. If you want a long sleeve, very intriguing. We're getting into fall temperatures here. Only $3 more, $23 for the long sleeve. So check them out. Um, I've said it enough times. I'm pretty sure I will remember to put this in the show notes, but if not, check out our Twitter account. You can find it there. Okay, Matt, anything else? Uh, I know we've been going for coming on six hours. Am I, am I counting that right? No, five coming on five, five hours here. Yeah. Um, so anything else you, that we haven't touched on yet somehow in five hours of speaking into a microphone late at night on a Tuesday? I hope not. Cause I got a 6am flight that I got to finish packing for. I got to edit this MF. So good luck to both of us. Uh, okay. Yeah, maybe you'll be going to, going to sleep right when I'm arriving. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you very much. If you have listened through this whole thing, you are the true MVP of this podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, if you're not already follow, follow the show, wherever you're at, uh, Apple podcast, Spotify, Google, all of the above, you could follow us there. Apple podcast specifically. I think Spotify also leave a review if you can, or just a five-star rating would be awesome. They really do help, uh, people find us when they're searching for Tulsa sports and whatnot. Um, if you want to support us, we do this all for free. So support is very appreciated. We've got a few different ways you can do that. You can find them all on our website. That is the slash support. You'll find all those ways. And Last but not least, uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are out there at Golden Hurricast, all in word, obviously. Um, and we've also got an email address if you want to shoot us an email. That is thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Thank you again, everybody. It's been five hours and hopefully not in uh, real podcast time. That is terrifying to think about. I don't think it will be. Um, but anyway, thanks again for listening and we will talk to you next week. Stay golden. Stay golden.